0: Gee, Pines, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pluto. Talk about pinky in the brain. Welcome to PointCast, the podcast dedicated to the beloved cartoon characters Pinky and the Brain, as we chronicle their evolution, episode by episode, from Animaniacs to their two spinoff series, and all the way to the Animaniacs reboot. My name is Mary Jo, but people call me MJ or Pines. And my name is Kelly, but you can call me Pluto. And today we'll be diving into the sixth Pinky and the Brain segment on Animaniacs, which is Jockey for Position. But first, we would love to welcome a very special guest to our show. So, lovely listeners, allow us to introduce you to animation veteran and Animaniacs director, Leonard Robinson.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me to the show.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. Sure thing. Yeah, so, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: (sighs) Well, uh, I was the director at Warner Brothers for six years, and part of that time I was directing on the Animaniacs TV show, but I also directed on the Tasmania show as well, and I was a producer with uh, Damon Wayans on his own show, which was called Wayne Head. But well, I've worked in the animation business now for a little over 45 years, and I've worked as an animator, as a producer, as a director, as a storyboard artist. Um, great business. Uh, I've got my start, uh, at Disney more or less as far as, far as training went. Uh, by the time I started to direct, uh, it was in, I was in, it was in the nineties at the time that I started directing. And, um, it was a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I started working on tiny tunes for Warner brothers, uh, prior to working on Animaniacs. Uh, so by the time I got to working on Animaniacs, I was really familiar with the, kind of humor that Tom Ruger had created for Tiny Toons, which was very similar to what we ended up doing on Animaniacs. So It was a wonderful opportunity for me. I was pretty young, and it was, uh you know, among the first directing gigs I got. So it's a great opportunity for me.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, um, this is actually my dad. <laughs> so I've grown up uh, around uh, animation and seeing what he's done. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a great opportunity uh, that you got going through the years with these characters, uh, with a really great cast and crew. It's kind of a, a golden ticket uh, time in animation uh, working on these shows, which are, you know, very beloved by those then and today. Uh, so very, very cool opportunity. So uh, let's see. Would you like me to ask the next one? Or Yeah. What, okay. So, uh, so dad, uh, going on to the next question, um, how did you land the job, uh, working at Animaniacs specifically?
1: Oh, well, um, I guess what happened was after I directed on, uh, I directed a few episodes on, uh, Tasmania and I was doing pretty well on it. And, uh, Tom Ruger sort of got wind of my shows. Actually, one of the shows that I was the very first show I directed, uh, I remember hearing, uh, a buzz from the, folks upstairs that they were impressed with the show, how it turned out. And since it was like the, one of the very first shows I ever directed, I think what happened was they said, Oh, well, this guy must be pretty good. You know, it's like he, he's mm-hmm. hit the ground running with a good show. And, and actually the show ended up getting nominated. Um, so it was like, Whoa, this was good. And so I think Tom just saw that and and he realized that uh, I was probably one of the people that he'd want to have on his crew because at that time he was developing Animaniacs and he had, you know, he was exciting everybody with what he was doing. You know, it looked like it was going to be a lot of fun, but he hadn't picked his crew yet. So I think it just it was a surprise to me, to be honest. I mean, I <laughs> thought that once I got finished working on Tasmania, I thought, well, maybe that's it. You know, I'm going to be done because uh, we did a season of Tasmania. And I really enjoyed that show as well, but I had no idea he wanted me <clears throat> to direct on Animaniacs. So when he mentioned it to me, you know, he kind of pulled me aside. I thought, oh wow, cool. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that was a you know that was that was a real a really uh, surprise surprise to me, but it was a good surprise. So yeah, <laughs>
0: the That's best kind of surprises.
1: Oh yeah, you know, I mean, because he had he had pitched the show to everybody um, before they did it. And of course, we knew Spielberg was connected to it, so you know, naturally, was a high-profile gig. So and everybody was like, "Wow, this is going to be great!" And you know, there's a lot of talk about it, you know. But you know, you try to focus on your work, you know, and you don't know how things are going to go. Hollywood is so unpredictable, you know. You don't you don't know what's going to happen. So when something good happens, it's great. (laughs) That was good.
2: Yeah, it's a fickle business. Like you hope for the best uh, when you get those. Those awesome opportunities, you know, you definitely grab it by the horns. uh But it's a great place at the right time. Uh, so cool, you were able to yeah. to get on that that he picked you out. And I remember you working on Tasmania. I was real little at the time, but I remember going into work with you once or twice.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. <laughs> like, what was that like?
1: Tasmania. Well, oh. yeah,
0: that, and also like bringing your kids to work.
1: Oh great! Well, you know, I knew they'd enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been one to like want to drag my kids and everything I do. (laughs) We appreciated it too. Very fond memories. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got you know my my big thing was I used to want to take the girls to uh, the San Diego Comic Con, and my wife thought, well, you know, they were pretty young when I first wanted to do that. She didn't think it was a good idea because she thought, well, there's a lot of scary looking people down there, you know, and you oh yeah. Want to, <laughs> we know.
2: wanted to go so bad and she wanted us go.
1: And I was like, Oh, they'll love it. She, you know, she says, well, you know, cause I think, I think you all were, gosh, I mean, Kelly, I think you were maybe like, I don't know, five, six years old. I can't remember. Yeah, I think I was
2: were. about five. Well, when did Tasmania come out? What year was that? When you? Were
1: uh, let's see. I started directing in 1990. So okay, let's so see. I was, that I was been... only
2: one year old then, but you were still oh. working on it by the time I was five. I
1: yeah. Think. Yeah. Let's see. Well, guess, let's see. Yeah. guess we were, I think we didn't, uh, the first season, I think we did. I can't remember. Did we do two seasons of Tasmania? I, I don't remember, remember, now. But I remember. But I think it, it was years. like 91. So yeah, you were, yeah, you were really young because, um, you know, I would, answer. I would go to Comic-Con and, uh, you know, Bonnie would not let me take you guys, but you, you, you guys would go to, um, the San Diego zoo. That was the yeah. thing. I remember that. And then I would go to Comic-Con and, and waste my money. But uh, <laughs> Not I a said, waste you stuff. know, I know when the girls get old enough, I'm going to drag them over because I know they're going to love it. You know, <laughs> that that
0: sounds like a dream come true. If only my parents were like that.
1: <laughs> so yeah. I, I would, you know, so I look forward to the time that, that they could come to work and see me, you know, at work. And, um, they were much older than I, I, I forget exactly how old you all were when, when you came to visit. But, um, I probably was working on, still working on Tasmania. I might have still been working on Tasmania, or I may have just been working on Animaniacs. I'm not really sure which show I was on because, gosh, I was so busy during that time. So
2: maybe, maybe it was Animaniacs because I remember going with you to work one day and you were up in a high, it was a high rise building, like way up high on one of oh, the top, yeah, top yeah. floors and being up there with our coloring books while you were working <laughs> i don't remember if it was tasmania or maybe it was animaniacs it's been too long yeah
1: well i mean uh, well yeah because we started tasmania well when we had the building uh the building that you're referring to was uh, right across from where the Sherman Oaks galleria in the you know before the earthquake there that big earthquake oh, okay, the Sherman yeah. Oaks galleria was you know was an inside galleria
3: okay and
1: um We were in a building that was like a bank building, basically. Yeah. But I think we started out in a building that was kind of, it was not a a high rise building. It was, it it was a, it, well, I think it had like about five or six floors. And then the floor, the building that you visited was when we were in the tall building. And that one went up 14 floors. And I think we, we were on the eighth floor when we did, uh Animaniacs and Tasmania.
3: Okay. Okay. Yeah. I Batman, yeah.
1: All those, yeah, because we had gone from the small building to the taller building. And so the three shows that moved up there was um Tasmania, uh Animaniacs and Batman. Okay,
2: gotcha. Right. Yeah, that was the building.
1: Yeah. We ended up having, I think, like four floors in that building before we were all done.
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah,
1: that was before the end of uh our big big time over there before they moved to, to a different spot but yeah that was a while ago gosh that
2: was a while ago yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. cool cool yeah very fascinating well i guess we'll get into our segment review at this point and uh very joe i will let you start start off and take it from here
0: yep will do So Jockey for Position premiered in episode 27 of Animaniacs, which first aired on October 18th, 1993. It aired alongside You Risk Your Life, a Warner segment parodying the Groucho Marx game show You Bet Your Life, and I Got Your Can, a Slappy cartoon in which Slappy gets revenge on her uptight neighbor through a battle of wits as opposed to retaliating with her standard weapons of choice, such as bombs and anvils. And the episode is bookended with two Dot Poetry Corner segments. And Jockey for Position was written by Peter Hastings and directed by our lovely guest Lenard Robinson and Dave Marshall. And it was animated by Wang Film Production.
2: Yep, so the episode starts off we're at Acme Labs and uh, you see Pinky running on a globe. His brain kind of stands still on the very top of it. And he's demonstrating his latest plan for a world conquest to Pinky. And so he tosses this magnet that goes around and around and around the globe. And so the little guy, he plans on... He's planning on building a reverse geoptric arrestor, <laughs> which <laughs> involves this giant magnet and cables. So he's going to somehow throw it from the North Pole, which will stop gravity in a matter of seconds. And it's going to fling everybody off of the Earth so that, he, <laughs> so that he and Pinky then have control of the world, which has got to be one of the more ludicrous, dangerous plans for world domination, uh, but pretty hilarious. <laughs> like, how
0: are they going to throw a giant <laughs> magnet? They're small mice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so i don't tiny. know how
2: but <laughs> it's one of the funniest funniest plan ideas uh in my opinion but yeah i don't know how he plans to do this and neither does pinky apparently like pinky cheers but then he realizes a major fall in this plan he's like well how are he and brain going to stay on the earth and brain's like oh we'll just he shows he shows pinky this blueprint which includes this little kiddish drawing of the mice. And he's like, we're going to duct tape ourselves to a tree, (laughs) (laughs) which will totally work, I'm sure. (laughs) So he's got this little duct tape, uh, this little illustration of the duct tape to a tree on their blueprints, which is conveniently placed right next to this more intricate illustration of the parts of the device. But so but brain still needs the money to raise, to to purchase the parts. So he needs to raise some money to get these parts. And unfortunately, he has come up with a, solid solution yes so
0: Brain tends to his um, (laughs) yeah so Brain then tends to his sewing machine and he's putting together an article of clothing as he explains his latest get rich quick scheme to Pinky
4: tomorrow is the running of the Kentucky Derby do you know what that is? Um, oh a very large hat promise me something Pinky Never breed.
0: I'll try. He states that tomorrow is the running of the Kentucky Derby. And when Brain asks his roommate if he knows what that is, Pinky replies, a very large hat. And Brain makes the most, like, one of the funniest sardonic (laughs) responses ever. It's like, promise me something, Pinky. Never breed. (laughs) And Pinky glumly replies, I'll try. (laughs) However, for fans of the Pinky and the Brain spinoff, they know that this promise will get broken in the episode Brinky, the one where Brain clones himself, but Pinky's toenail gets meddled with his DNA, and they produce a biological offspring named Romy.
4: <laughs> Look, one of your errant nail clippings befouled my tissue sample. My clone is a product of our merged DNA. Do you realize what this means?
3: <gasps> I'm a mommy!
4: Kinky, that's absurd! You're nothing of the kind. It's chromosomal makeup just happens to include both of our genetic building blocks. Ah! Oh my lord! You are it's mommy.
2: And we'll get to that episode way down the line. I think it's in season two of the spinoff. I yeah, think, yeah. So we'll a little ways down the line, but we'll we'll get there.
0: Yep. So then, Brian explains that it's the biggest horse race of the year, and that the winner will receive a million dollar purse. And as he explains this, brings takes his clothes that he's sewn over to his changing divider, which is a folded jack playing card. And Pinky just stands over at the side of the divider <laughs> and he explains that, Brain will need a million dollar pumps and earrings to go with his purse. But Brain just grabs Pinky by the snout, telling him to focus and to watch <laughs> as he's changing into his clothes, which begs the question why they would need the divider in the first place if <laughs> Pinky's just going to watch doing, Brain doing his reverse strip tease. <laughs> so then he's, Pinky just watched his brain change his clothes and he emerges from the divider in his jockey outfit Complete with a checkered green and purple jersey, which looks nothing like the cloth that he was sewing earlier, a matching helmet, goggles, white pants, and black boots. <laughs> and he's standing in this very, um, very proud uh, pose. And Pinky then assumes that brain is a beautiful lawn ornament. And he begins to shape shift into various different lawn ornaments, like, such as a flamingo, a deer. <laughs> And one of the seven dwarves (laughs) and then brain just tells pinky to stop it or i'll have to hurt you
2: (laughs) (laughs) yep and then we get a scene transition to churchill downs to the races and the mice visit the stables to find the fastest horse that's
4: there the racing form pinky By analyzing the velocity-based pace line, mild turf wind, and Bayer speed figures, we'll find a grade one stakes claimer who'll give us a key horse situation.
3: Uh, can't we just ride the pretty one?
4: Heavens, they're multiplying.
2: And as they're going down, uh, down the stables, Picky suggests, well, why can't we just ride the pretty one? And... You see a horse that kind of looks like Pinky. It's like she's white like Pinky. She's even got the buck teeth like Pinky, and blue eyes, and the blue eyes and everything. So, and her name, according to her to the stables there, is Farthing Newton. And Brain dryly responds, "He's like heavens, they're multiplying."
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so he's the Farthing Newton's not going to do. So he's going to find a more suitable horse. So he finds one named Daddy's Little Angel, who is the exact opposite in personality. He just looks like the most the meanest, most ruthless horse in the whole stable, but that's the one he wants. So he then asks Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And Pinky <laughs> replies, I think so, Brain, but isn't Regis Philbin already married? <laughs> <laughs> and Brain, Brain responds that the, the combination of this horse's high speed and Brain's low body weight would definitely ensure his victory in the race, so... He's got to get rid of the rider, though, who's riding the horse, so he decides to convince the rider to step down from the competitions.
4: Hello? Is this the jockey who's going to ride Daddy's Little Angel? Yeah. This is Ed McMahon for Publisher's Smearing House. You have just won $10 million.
3: I won $10 million.
4: I won $10 million. I am out of here. Later. Louie. Louie. Later.
2: And he does this by he he calls the writer and he he does like a kind of a prank call sort of in the writer. So he calls the writer from somewhere in the building and he claims that he is Ed McMahon from Publishers Smearing House <laughs> and and that the jockey has won ten million dollars and so the jockey is just ecstatic and. Brain bends down towards the phone as he speaks, and Pinky's behind him, kind of trying to control his laughter at this. <laughs> and so the rider's just really happy, and he's like, "I ain't working here anymore. I quit." So he <laughs> he leaves, like he's going to go get his ten million dollars that he doesn't know is fake. And so he leaves, and Brain enters the the locker room, and so the guy in charge is like, "Well, what am I going to do? I've lost my best jockey." And and Brain says, "Well, he can he can ride the horse." And when when the guy asks if Brain's a jockey brain replies that he's actually a lab mouse trying to take over the world but the, the trainer just thinks that he's kind of joking he's like it's like yeah everyone needs a hobby <laughs> as long as brain can ride that's what matters uh, But brain says he can ride and that he'll win so they weigh brain on the scale and combined with the saddle the total weight is seven pounds three ounces which <laughs> <laughs> the trainer claims is like the perfect perfect weight and that brain is like the smallest jockey and yeah, the other jockeys just kind of like dead hearted at this they're like you're thinking about an early retirement <laughs> it's like they can't, yeah you can't compete with that yeah one
0: of those kind of looks like a little weird too he's like he looks like he's just so zoned out he's like
2: <laughs> <laughs> he's like this is too much to deal with mm-hmm. so the race is about to start and brain's all excited and- He's even singing Camptown races in the most <laughs> delightfully monotone manner possible.
1: <laughs> Do da. doo Yeah.
0: yeah. Camptown races five miles long.
2: <laughs> I love that that uh, delivery by Maurice. That was so funny. Oh yeah.
3: <laughs>
4: Camptown races five miles long. Doo-dah. Doo dah
2: so he he joins the starting line and then he notices oh Pinky's with him on the horse and Brain's like Pinky your weight's going to affect the race even though Pinky's not that heavy Brain is still concerned about this but uh, Pinky Pinky and Brain and on the horse that they're on happen to be right next to Farfig Newton in the lineup and uh, Pinky and Far are quite happy about this <laughs> <laughs> they exchange little hard eyes but as the race begins. And the horses shoot off. Pinky is thrown off of the horse that he's on, and he lands on the ground, and he acts kind of dizzy, and he, he kind of dizzily sings a verse from the Animaniacs theme song. And and the horses are off, and they're neck and neck, except for Farfing Newton, who is all the way at the back trailing behind. She is not in any position to win the race from the looks of it.
0: Yeah. So Bray manages to get in the lead, and it looks like he's going to win. And he even's like, "Victory, she is mine. Oh, the doodah day!" <laughs> but Pinky is still at the track, and he hears the stampede approaching. He tries to run, but he stumbles and trips and falls. But Farfig Newton, she realizes that Pinky is in danger, and she becomes motivated through the power of love. So she catches up, and she's galloping down the racetrack. Brain realizes, "Oh shoot!" Farfik Newton's catching up. I gotta, I gotta win this thing, but unfortunately uh, for Brain, Farfik Newton catches up. She's in the lead. She swoops down, saves Pinky, and she ends up winning the race, with Brain coming in second. And Brain re- laments his loss by saying, in the words of the great Willie Shoemaker nuts <laughs> <laughs> while Pinky and Farthing Newton are just looking at each other making little lovey-dovey eyes and flirting
2: <laughs> yeah so foiled mm. again unfortunately so they, they go back to the lab and so Brain's working on his next world domination scheme as he glues a canna together that's propped up by a tape dispenser and an empty thread spool and he hears <laughs> Pinky hammering a picture of Farthing Newton to the cage and he kind of yells at him <laughs> quiet down and when they engage in their routine of what they're going to do tomorrow night brain kind of scowls telling pinky guess (laughs) And and pinky sheepishly try replies to replies oh try and take over the world and then we get this exterior shot of the lab and we pull out as the end chorus sings and that is the end of jockey for position
4: Pinky, would you please stop that? I'm trying to concentrate on tomorrow night.
3: Mm. what well, then What are we going to do tomorrow night? Guess. Oh, yeah. Trying to take over the world. Right. They're
4: Pinky, they're Pinky, and the Brain, Brain, Brain,
2: Brain, Brain.
0: Yay.
2: Very, very <laughs> cute little, cute little short.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Tons of fun.
1: Fun to make. <laughs> yeah,
0: oh, sure. I bet. <laughs> So we'll just transition over to our firsts. Okie dokie, you go first, Pines. Yep, we'll do. So this is the first Pinky and the Brain scheme that involves sports. This one, they do the they compete in the Kentucky Derby and horseback uh, horse racing, and it's it's really fun to see Brain just on a horse. He's just so sort of this tiny little guy. <laughs> and um, there's actually a few episodes in the Pinky and the Brain spinoff that also involve sports. So, one episode, Hoop Schemes, has Brain form a basketball team, and he rises to basketball superstardom as he becomes the next bad boy of basketball, similar to Dennis Rodman. The episode, Brain's bogey, has Brain impersonating Cher to compete in a celebrity golf tournament. (laughs) Pinky at the Bat has Brain becoming a baseball manager slash player for a losing baseball team, the New Hampshire Pineapples, and helps the (laughs) team become victorious. But yeah, just quick aside, that episode was, um, I remember watching that as a kid, and I'm from Massachusetts, and I go to New Hampshire quite often because my cousins live there. And when I was watching the episode, I'm like, wait a second, there's no such team as the New Hampshire Pineapples. <laughs> like, the Red Sox, like, collectively represents New England, <laughs> save for, like, Connecticut, but.
2: <laughs> That's funny.
0: Yeah, and um, other examples of sport-related episodes is uh, Beach Blanket Brain, which has Brain be a hip surfer who is down with the kids of the early 1960s. And Brain is also a aspiring rhythmic gymnastics athlete, as seen in a Pinky and the Brain Halloween. Right. Yeah, and all these episodes um, showcase Brain's competitive nature in sports as well as his competency in athletics, despite his pudgy physique,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> which I always found
0: interesting. Cause he's like, you know, he's a smart guy, but he's also good at sports too.
2: So yes. <laughs> and it's often his downfall too. Like in some of those episodes, he would get so competitive in the sport that it would yeah. kind of overrule his plan. So in, in uh hoop schemes, he gets, he gets so hooked up into the fame and fortune of basketball that he completely eschews his plan entirely almost at one point, And then this, obviously backfires on him and
4: soon Mohammed Al-Babrain was a huge star and a household name he was one with the ball and so was I
3: but fame
4: had a dark side hey Mohammed Al-Babrain want to make commercials? yes yes
2: the same thing kind of happens in Brain's bogey uh, where he gets he gets too caught up in the moment. And because of this, his competitive nature, it results in the plan failing because of him.
0: Yeah. This is also the first Pinky and the Brain segment to feature Farvig Newton, who is the first major supporting character of sorts. She's occasionally brought up in various episodes in the Pinky and Brain spinoff. And usually like when Pinky's carrying a photograph of her, and um, she actually receives a much larger role in the Animaniacs' direct-to-video film
4: Wacko's Wish as Pinky's love interest. I knew I'd find you out here wasting time with this horse. Come. Oh, uh, but Farfug Newton and I have pledged our hearts to each other. Pinky, that is a horse. You are a mouse. Oh, brain, don't be so intolerant. Why can't the horses and the mice live together in harmony along with the fairies and the wood sprites and the bean sprouts? I stand corrected, Pinky. That is a horse. You are an imbecile.
2: Yep. Yeah. She plays, plays quite a major role in that. Did you did, did you work on that one, Dad? I don't remember if you were on Wacko's Wish or not.
1: I don't think so. No. I mean, sometimes they would they would have me design stuff for different cartoons. So that was that was the reason why I couldn't remember whether I worked on another one or not. Because sometimes they'd say, "Hey, we need a funny drawing of Brain here. Or we need a funny drawing of Pinky or whatever." And I might do something kind of fun, you know, and they go, Oh yeah, that's great. We're going to use that over here. So sometimes that was all I did, you know, (laughs) and then sometimes I even did storyboards on my own cartoons, you know, (laughs) um, occasionally I did that. In fact, I did part of storyboard on this one.
2: Nice. Nice. As
1: well as directing it. So
2: do you still have those boards?
1: Someplace, someplace. <laughs> they're in that's a box a somewhere, car. you know, deep in the land of storage room. You know how that or is. The Ark of
2: the Covenant,
0: where like all yeah. <laughs> the <Ark> of- <laughs> it might as well be with that storage yeah. room being the way it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's about the situation. Yeah, I, I would imagine I do probably still have that one uh, somewhere because I know I have a box of storyboards uh, from Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, nice. and Batman actually. So I might, oh, I probably nice. do have it.
2: Someday we'll have to un- uncover it, unearth it. And, yeah, I know people would love to see those.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll find it eventually.
2: <laughs> One day.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. And uh, and in connecting to that, um, this is the first time we see Pinky fall in love with someone from a different species.
3: <laughs>
0: Barber Newton is the most steady of these love interests. We see uh, in one-off episodes where Pinky would fall hard for a different animal And he would get his heart broken and be sad, and brain would comfort him. Such examples of this are uh, the episode Operation Sea Lion from the Pinky and the Brain spinoff, where Pinky falls in love with a sea lion named Winnie.
1: (laughs) I remember that one. You remember that? (laughs) Yeah, I remember that one.
4: Let me start again. Mice and sea lions don't mix, except perhaps in a Disney film. Oh, brain. That is so cruel. I can never say that to Winnie. Just tell her there are other fish in the sea. Believe me, she'll understand that.
1: There, there was a constant thing to 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 do this sort of thing with Pinky. It was that, like, just exactly how far can can we push this idea? You know, of, of Pinky <laughs> falling in love with with someone from a different species is clearly could not have a relationship. But because you know, Pinky's so honest, he doesn't know. You know, he can't put these two things together <laughs> and brain just tolerates it you know it's like brain, brain doesn't humble, he almost has no point no no choice but to tolerate it you know i mean <laughs> you could tell you know he's he's pretty exasperated with him with the whole thing over the whole thing but it's it's hilarious to do it was i think that was the most fun was coming up with these situations that were just absolutely impossible like there's no way that's gonna work you know so that'll be funny just visually you know
2: yeah oh yeah
0: other examples of this were um, the Pinky Elmira and the Brain episode, Teleport a Friend, where Pinky has his supply. That's essentially the same as Winnie, but he falls in love with a pig.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. gosh. You know, it was like, I think you know, this is another reason, too, why I, you know, I, I wished I had done more Pinkies. But it, Tom sort of cast us based on the, what he thought we had a more of an affinity for. Mm. And... They came to me with Jockey for Position, and I remember saying, oh, good, I finally get to do a Pinky the Brain.
3: Because <laughs> <Aww.
1: laughs> I really liked Aww. Pinky and the Brain. And Pinky and the Brain, obviously, it was, you know, was a fun show, and then that's why it's, it had its own spinoff. So, like very few of the characters had that happen, you know,
3: yeah. where you'd have yeah. a spinoff.
1: I think Elvira might have had one. Uh, but, you know, every, every now and then it was like there was something that, about a character that's like, oh, we need to do more with this character. Yeah. And Pinky oh, yeah. and the Brain just stood out, you know. It was like it was one of those cartoon series that you know it was like, yeah, we we got to do as much with this as possible. So,
2: do you know why he picked you specifically for jockey for position? Did he kind of feel like you you would? Have
1: well, he knew or... he knew I was going to make funny drawings. You know, I think <laughs> like I, <laughs> you know, like the drawing of 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 Pinky of I'm sorry, of Brain as a jockey. I had done some sketches and which had people laughing. So, <laughs> so i was kind of like oh okay <laughs> you know?
2: i love no. the reveal of that by the way when Me you first too. see him in the outfit and it pans up just look at the, the yeah, button that yeah that was too. that was
1: my idea i said yeah was we should <laughs> we should pan up like it's like it's a sexy thing or something <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs>
3: that's funny you know, like, that, <laughs> that is <"That's> great good, <laughs> but, <you know>? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i was i think i was mostly um Fascinated with the deadpan quality of, of brain, you know, I just love that. So I just, that was always plusing that. Like, let's keep him, you know, whenever he delivers something, let's see if we can't keep him as deadpan as possible. Cause I thought that, that would make it funnier. And it seemed to work pretty well in this cartoon.
0: Oh, yeah. It's definitely, he has yeah. like two of like what two of my favorite brain moments, which is the uh, promise me something, never breed, and then heavens, they're multiplying.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like that, yeah. like, the, like the animation on that and like coupled with the uh, Maurice's delivery. It's just like, <laughs> that was just like chef's kiss.
1: Oh, it was great. You know, I mean, those guys too. Like I said, they would, and Kelly knows, I mean, you get those two guys in a recording booth and it's just hard not to laugh. They, they, they would just come up with, they would come up with stuff, you know, that wasn't even in the script. that was just hilarious. And, you know, I'd always say, gosh, wish we could do all the stuff they're saying. Because it's some really funny stuff. But, I mean, that's how you that's how you do it. You get lucky with the, everybody contributes to a cartoon. So it makes it even more memorable, I think, when that happens.
0: Yeah, everybody yeah. brings their A-game, and it's like the ultimate team effort.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Peter Hastings wrote a good script. I don't remember. I, I guess that I don't know whether it was because I hadn't done one yet, And I guess Tom wanted to see what I was going to do. I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure why. Cause it did kind of, once again, it did kind of come out of left field. It was like, I had done a bunch of other cartoons, which I guess Tom really liked. And then, um, that one came along and I think it was, I think it might've been just because I hadn't done one yet. (laughs) Yeah. I think
2: so. It seemed like like, when I watched, um, when, uh, when we were going through all the Animaniacs episodes, It seemed like they were trying to give everybody a shot at least once at each segment. Right. So everybody got a shot at Pinky and the Brain. Everybody got at least one shot at Mindy and Buttons, at Rita and Run. So everyone got at least a shot with those characters. And I mean, obviously, the Warner kids were the thing, the the segments that people got the most because there were the most of them. Yeah. But it seemed like they were trying to give everybody an opportunity to play around with each character in the lineup, which was kind of cool. Yeah, so yeah. everybody was
0: taking turns in terms of, like, directing and writing for those segments. Yeah.
1: That's exactly right, yeah. And um, so I, I I was real happy to get that because I, you know, I, I remember <laughs> thinking, like, "So how you guys are having fun with Pinky the Brain. I want to do one. And uh, so I, I remember <laughs> about the time I think I, I, I was saying that was, like, what, not too long after that I got one. So I was just like, oh, I was like, the Tom hear me hear me thinking out loud or what? <laughs> they
2: heard the whispers. <laughs> yeah,
1: so that was that was fun. Yeah, I, cool. I definitely, I definitely thought that was the one of the best things we did was Pinky in the Brain. You know, it was like it was one of the one of the most um, original idea shows that we had. So it oh, was yeah. like, we took that and then and the characters just fit. You know, it was like from the moment that we heard the pitch for Pinky and the Brain up until we start making the cartoons it was obvious that that was going to work. And, um, you know, we didn't think it was gonna work as well as it did, but it was, we're glad that it did. You know, it was, it was just one of those ideas that just made sense. You know, it was the cartoon duo that fit together. You know, they, they worked.
2: (laughs) It's such a great idea.
0: Oh yeah. It's like a match made in heaven with like this
2: ingenious concept. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why it stood the test of time. And even in the reboot, you know, besides the Warner Kids, uh, the only characters that really made a big comeback with them was Pinky and the Brain. It's like they still got their own segment. It's like they're just too popular. Uh, people still love those characters. Whenever I mention them to anybody, people perk up. You know, their eyes like light up, and they're like, "Oh, I remember that show. I love it." They start singing the theme song. <laughs> I
3: actually
0: really mentioned Pinky voice. and the Brain to like my coworker, and he started like typing it up on the, like the computer because I was look- working at the library and. My uh, supervisor, who's like the head reference library, is like, oh, like I do a podcast on Pinky and the Brain." He's like typing it up and is like, oh, cool. That looks fascinating.
2: <laughs> That's really cool. It's like yeah. people love the show. I mean, even my my therapist right now, it's like I mentioned to her that I like the show and she started singing the theme song. <laughs> 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 Everybody likes the show. It's just really cute uh, to see how much it's affected people of all ages and all careers.
0: Yeah. Uh, so writing it back in, um, speaking about like the reboot, the last ex- uh, example of Pinky falling in love with somebody of a different species is the uh, Bride of Pinky, where Pinky falls in love with this uh, Brain's Frankenstein monster who's uh, half woman, half uh, sloth, half lizard.
1: Oh, man, <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. And Brain is often um, either, as you mentioned earlier, he kind of sort of tolerates it, but he's often like disgusted or just like, pinky you are a mouse this is a, like you know a different animal and whether or not brain is actually jealous that pinky is dating somebody else instead of him is up for debate
2: they certainly push into that direction more in the reboot but yeah it's like they they still carry that thing of yeah. pinky yeah falling in love with these random creatures uh in the reboot like they still do that I- at least once Uh, they'll I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they tried doing it again in the second season, but well, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. They carried it over from original to to here.
1: (laughs) The writers always had fun with that stuff. The interspecies love affairs.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it seems like they did. (laughs) (laughs) I guess finishing up the first, uh, this is the first instance uh, that we see pinky shapeshift. This visual gag would be used occasionally in the show. Uh, so here we see Pinky shapeshift a couple of times into little lawn ornaments of sorts. We see him shift uh, into Brain a couple of times, once in the Christmas episode, and again in the reboot episode, Babysitter's Flub. I don't remember him doing that. When did he do that, Pines, in, the, in that?
0: Uh, well, in the Christmas episode, they were on the assembly line. They were disguising themselves as the Noodle Noggin dolls, and Brain's like, right. Pinky, pretend to act like me, and then Brain just <laughs> shifts into, like, you know, the, um, like- I do remember that yeah. the uh, forehead like the jowls and everything and he's like this super serious face but uh, I think in the uh, reboot episode Pinky's like trying to sing to the kids and like he's like temporarily changes himself to brain for a okay. moment
2: I don't even remember that in the babysitter like I remember the Christmas one like it was a really cute bit too but I didn't remember the babysitter's club shape-shifting bit so I'll have to watch that again Yeah, it's only like for like a brief moment, too. It's like, you know, blink and you'll miss it. Okay, I've only watched that one like a couple of times, so I'll have to rewatch it to catch that. Mm -hmm. And this is also the first time that Pinky correctly guesses what he and Brain are going to do tomorrow night. He would also say correctly, try to take over the world in the Animaniacs segments Brain Meets Brawn and Cranial Crusader. And he also would guess this correctly in the spinoff episodes The Mummy, Brain drained, Pinky's turn, and dangerous brains. So sometimes he actually would answer correctly to what are we going to do tomorrow night? But usually he would give a very random, silly response.
1: Well, I think eventually, you know, it's like the writers, we we all had the same problems with cartoons. It's it's like, well, what are we, what could we do differently?
3: Right. Yeah.
1: You start, you know, you start thinking of different ways of, of surprising the audience so if if uh, pinky suddenly smart at a time you don't expect him to be smart you know that throws the audience off either in a good way or a bad way a lot of it just depends on (laughs) where the where the joke is you know we're trying to find that joke Mm -hmm. Uh, the writers were always really good at that sort of thing i mean peter was great at it
0: yeah they were yeah they were great at it they were good at like doing like variations on a theme just to like keep things fresh yeah yeah you could tell they had fun Oh yeah! And speaking of fun, let's uh, move on to the fun facts.
1: <laughs> Sweet. Okay.
0: Yep. So uh, the title of this episode, "Jockey for Position," is a play on the phrase "jockey for position," which means to try to get into a better place. Which is a very apt description of the episode's plot, since Braine wants to win money to fund his scheme, so he competes in the as a jockey in the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> yep. Okay, so uh, the other fun fact is uh, the scene where Pinky is running around on the spinning globe and Brain standing on top would be featured in the Pinky and the Brain spinoff opening.
2: Right. Yep. Yeah, that is in the spinoff opening. And uh, also the shot of Brain showcasing his blueprints to his plan would be reused for the uh, Pinky and the Brain end credits uh, with a little bit of an alteration. Uh, The lighting on the blueprints is greatly diminished. Uh, The sewing machine's gone. And the drawing of the tree is replaced with the shadows of the mice, which very well be a nod to the uh, one of the title cards in Animaniacs, where you see the mice cast their shadows cast upon a brick wall. And uh, additionally, the, bl- the blueprints are used as a painted detail on the little pinky-in-the-brain Q-Fig figurine, which I own, actually. it's a very, Me too. Really nice, yeah, it's, it's a very nice little, little figure. Um, and this figure was released in 2017, and you see the mice standing on top of the blueprint seeing brain kind of confident in this plan and Pinky's behind him, uh, standing behind him, looking on with concern. And uh, that's very nicely done.
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely a really quality figure. Definitely one of my favorite figures that I own. Yeah. Same here.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember working on that first part and you know, I was trying to, when I, when we, I got the script from Peter and I saw that opening scene where, you know, he's there running on the, um, on the globe. Yeah. I thought, Hmm, that's going to be tricky. <laughs> so, uh,
2: <laughs>
1: so I storyboarded that part.
2: Okay. Because, oh, um, nice.
1: I was trying to figure out how it was going to work, you know, because the way Peter had written it, you know, he was talking about, okay, we're going to have this happen. He's going to throw this over. I said, okay, well, we got to make the make sure that's clear so that reads. So I did a I storyboarded out that part, and he says, oh yeah, that works great. And I said, okay, good. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that was really impressive, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of times that, that was, that was always the problem was you could come up with a funny idea, but then you think about, well, how am I going to show that funny idea, you know, so that the audience gets it. Like one of the hardest things that we had in that cartoon was the whole thing that, uh, Pinky was in trouble. You know, when he falls off the horse and they're going to lap and come around to back where he is and run over him, we had to make it clear that that's what was going to happen. And that was kind of tricky. Because, you know, when Farfik Newton sees him on the tracks way up ahead, we had to kind of set that up so that, you know, you could see past, see what she was saying and where he was. But the horses were still running, you know, so it was like, <laughs> well, how do we do that? Oh, we look underneath the horses. Oh, yeah. And we could see him on the horizon. Okay. So, you know, that was that was the thing. And then the animation companies were great, too, because they always helped us by putting in the extra work to make something, you know, read better.
0: Oh, yeah. And Wang does a really good job here.
2: They did. Yeah, they do. Wang was one of the, in my opinion, one of the better ones. Like, there were some pretty good studios. I mean, they got, you know, they got quality animation on those shows. But Wang is probably my personal favorite besides TMS. But uh, they did some nice, really nice stuff on the characters. But yeah, what you were saying, I was thinking about that too, because I just watched the episode earlier today myself to get prepared for the uh, interview, the um, recording here. And I was noticing that too. It's like, yeah, okay, you had to figure out you know showing the pinky's in trouble as the horses are running and you got to kind of have this this truck up shot you know
3: <laughs> where you're
2: kind of at the horses foot you know feet level right trucking up to see that pinky is on the horizon and he's going to get trampled and i'm like yeah that must have been kind of a tricky shot to to figure out but it reads though you know it, it works it reads
1: yeah. yeah we get we get lucky <laughs> we get lucky it's um uh, and i always I always would told the writers I says, well, you guys write some cool stuff. I said, but we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to do it to you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> another fun fact is the uh pinky references Regis Philbin, so for all of our uh, younger uh viewers who are probably born after like I don't know like nineteen ninety eight or something. <laughs> So for those who don't know, Regis Philbin, the late, great Regis Philbin, was a TV personality who was pretty popular in the 90s. He was the host of the morning talk show Live with Regis and Kathy Lee, and I know him best as the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah, Yeah, same. (laughs) Yeah, I used to have, like, the, I used to watch that with, like, my folks, and I had the computer game. We had, like, oh, Regis, dad. and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, so I, I had some idea of who he was, so, um, yeah. <laughs> and Philbin was already referenced in When Big as the jeopardy answer, when Brain's like, what is a Regis Philbin? <laughs> <laughs> and he would yeah. be made fun of a few times in the Pinky and the Brain spinoff, most notably in the Christmas episode, where Brain is like, Impersonate William H. Buckley and Pinky doesn't know who he is and Brand's like, impersonate Regis Philbin and Pinky's like, I'm out of control. <laughs>
1: I know I know that Tom had a real thing for he really liked Regis Philbin and I think he enjoyed poking fun at him. You know, there's a lot of a lot of the humor that you see in um in Animaniacs, this kind of a personal thing with Tom Ruger and some of the writers. A lot of them just they they, they had penchants for certain things that would come up. And and that was one of them, you know, (laughs) but it was just, it was so much of it was how it was delivered, you know, but yeah, back then everybody kind of knew what that was in reference to, you know, it's like, you know, when you brought up those funny little bits, people did laugh at them because they knew what they were about, you know, but yeah, now I'd say most kids probably have no, no idea who these characters are. And that was another thing that was nice about, about the show was that we have the right to use things like that. Because in cartoons, you had to get permission sometimes to use people's names or images. Mm -hmm. And because we had Steven Spielberg, Steven Spielberg would just get on the phone and call people and say, hey, we're going to put you in a cartoon or we're going to, use your name is that is that okay and just because it was steven spielberg they say oh yeah sure absolutely we'd let you know we used martin scorsese in a cartoon one time you know we just they were always doing that kind of thing where normally we'd have to get permission yeah but because because steven spielberg was the executive producer he would just get on his phone call him up and say hey is it okay and you know, we didn't have to go through legal or anything. It was that,
0: that actually makes so much sense now because I'm, like, wondering how, like, because, you know, some cartoons kind of use, like, parody names yeah, for, like, different, like, people or teams or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. but then Animaniacs, they just say it outright. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why yeah. that is. But then, like, hearing that, that makes much more sense.
1: Yeah, that was that was really it. I mean, it, he, it, you know, it was just because it was Steven Spielberg. and. You know, I, I, we had a Beavis and Butthead thing one time, I think, in the cartoon. It, I forget which.
2: It was a
0: Tiny Toons cartoon, I believe.
1: Yeah. And it was like right. he got on the phone and he called up the guys and said, hey, is it okay? And they said, yeah. But they did it just because it was Steven Spielberg. Because Steven Spielberg also was the executive producer on Tiny Toons as well. So, you know, I think it was just that because Spielberg had so much clout in Hollywood and still does, of course. You know, people, nobody wants to say no to him. You know, mm-hmm. so he could just, yeah. so we were just like, you know, we were the golden children, you know. It was, it was <laughs> you know, he, he, we could just get what we wanted. <laughs> it was great.
2: It's a pretty, pretty privileged position. It's like it you was. guys were able to get away with a lot of stuff, uh, oh, yeah. get a lot of people on there that, normally you wouldn't be able to get or that if you did you know they'd have to only really be able to get one of them because they because they'll ask top dollar but in this case it's like yeah they just said names outright they got guests in the show sometimes that is like yeah this
0: <laughs> yeah even the <laughs> um the Dolly Parton caricature of Bubba Bubba Brain <laughs>
1: yeah that was oh, yeah. kind of like another yeah oh yeah yeah
0: yeah we'll get other, to that the other studios
1: hated us Disney hated us because we could do that kind of stuff and you know you would think they would just do it but they didn't, you know, but but yeah. we did it, you know. It was we were <laughs> di- we were Disney's greatest competitor, you know. I think we beat them out many times.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Um and another uh, fun fact is the uh, okay, this one I'm really excited to talk about <laughs> because uh publisher Smearing House, which is the <laughs> prank phone call Brain was making to the jockey Right. Um, is a reference to Publishers Clearinghouse, which is <laughs> such a fascinating company because they uh, they were initially made to sell magazine subscriptions or, like, products, like, stuff. But right. it's more famous for, um, their shtick is that they do, like, sweepstakes where they, like, give people, like, tons of money. And it's like, oh, you can win $5,000 for life. <laughs> like, $5,000 a week worth. What? Oh God, I'm sorry but um, no, you're but um they're famous for like their prize patrol team <laughs> yeah no they're famous for their prize patrol team who comes to people's doorsteps with like giving them large large <laughs> checks and balloons and telling them that they won like millions of dollars and it's like yeah so they go to people's doorsteps give them large <laughs> checks of money balloons tell them that they won millions of dollars or you're, you're winning $10,000 a week for life or whatever yeah um, usually old people win <laughs> it's such an <laughs> old person thing too because it's like usually like a lot of the winners are usually people who are like middle age or older because right. like you never see people in their 20s winning that like that company <laughs> would go bankrupt if that's like the case <laughs> So I um, that
2: video that you, yeah. <laughs> I watched that video that you sent me uh, oh yeah well on, the Scott on, Crane like- one yeah, on how they just going over how the company did things uh, and how crazy it was, and it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah,
0: and how awkward the like the prize patrol team is. It's like, yeah. it's like, hi, like, just come outside. It's like, what's your name? Like, they never start with like, oh, we're from publishers clearing out. So they have to make it a whole awkward ordeal.
2: Yeah, the way they would approach you was almost like. It it could have come off of almost threatening the way that it was presented. It was kind of funny. Uh but yeah, definitely a very humorous take.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um additionally, um Brain mentions Ed McMahon, but the popular misconception is that Ed McMahon was not associated with publisher's clearinghouse.
1: <laughs> you know he wasn't, that's right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Ed McMahon, who's uh best known for being the tonight show's series announcer. Coined the famous catchphrase Here's Johnny That's better known for The Shining But he was also the host Of Star Search which was the 80's equivalent to American Idol and America's Got Talent but um, McMahon was actually the spokesperson For American Family Publishers Which was the New Jersey Based competitor for Publishers Clearinghouse
1: I quit my job Marjorie Godsick is set for life now. Yes, she's an American family multimillionaire. I won million. You may be next. Our all-time richest winner ever. You, $11 million rich.
3: Richer than any other big money winner in American family history. Enter this sweepstakes.
1: The only one from us. It's in the mail right now. And you can win next month, so hurry. Ed
0: and I will personally award the $11 million prize in just weeks. And... Yeah, and American publishers, they started in like the 70s and they were throughout um, the 80s and 90s until they got bankrupt in like the late 90s. And uh, right. another interesting tidbit is that Dick Clark was also a spokesperson along with Mann. Right. And, and they would do like commercials together. And Dick Clark was actually a guest star on the Pinky and the Brain spinoff episode. You'll never eat food pellets in this town again. <laughs> and he yeah. plays um Brain's next door neighbor that Brain confides to about his woes. Concerning show business. Hey. Oh, sorry, Brain. I, I thought you were another piece of trash from those darn tourists. Oh,
4: no. <laughs> just a little difference of opinion with the missus. Yeah, pull the old who needs show business bin, huh? Uh-huh. Yep, she'll get the house. Oh, dick.
0: And I remember Brain would be like, oh, dick. And like, out of context, that just sounds so hilarious.
2: Yeah, I remember that. That was that was a good episode too. At least it was yeah. kind of a sad episode. But yeah, I do remember that he was. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah the the uh, by the way though, the old Johnny thing was actually was he was talking about Johnny Carson because. Um, yeah. Uh, Johnny, yeah, uh, that was what uh, Matt McMahon would say. I think when he was uh, introducing Johnny Carson, and he would say, that, yep. "Here's Johnny," and then he would walk out. But yep. uh, yeah, so that's actually where that came from.
2: Yeah, it is, and then it became kind of popular saying and then you did see it and things like in the shining it's pretty yeah like you said Mary Jo it's pretty well known for yeah for being in the shining uh when it's said in there and you know other other pieces of media they make a reference to it in Finding Nemo even I remember there was a, oh yeah that's a right the, there with Bruce the shark he's like here's Brucey so you still see uh you still see that phrase being used in media to this day hmm
1: That's a commonality to use topical things in cartoons. I mean, there's so many cartoons. The cartoons, some of them that that do the best, use topical humor. And, uh, you know, that that works great when you can get away with it. It's wonderful. You can.
0: Yeah. um, One example of this um, was Gravity Falls. They would do like their TV gags and they would make fun of like stuff like that's on TV. Like one of my favorite ones was um, in Northwest Mansion Mystery where Dipper was watching a marathon of. Ghost Harassers on the Used to Be <laughs> Route History channel. I remember that. <laughs> and it's just like, man, that is just such a sick burn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, topical stuff uh, definitely yeah, works well on cartoons. You can see it a lot. Going into a couple of other uh, fun uh, fun facts. Uh, the name Farfig Newton is actually a triple joke. Uh, so it references Farlap, which is a famous champion New Zealand thoroughbred racehorse from the 1920s. Also, is referencing the Volkswagen catchphrase Newgen," <laughs> which translates to driving enjoyment. And Fig Newton, Fig Newton cookies, uh, kind of sounds like that, Fig Newton, Fig Newton cookies, which are now just mar- marketed as Newtons. So, so Fig Newton's name is kind of this amusing pun on several things uh, that works on three different levels, which is kind of fun. There were also some amusing names for the other horses in the race as well. So, Flamiel uh, is a reference to Mrs. Flamille, the Warner Kids' school teacher in Animaniacs. And it's one of the phrases that you hear the character of Mr. Director in Animaniacs say quite often. In his very nasally Jerry Lewis voice. Flamiel! (laughs) Flamiel, (laughs) Flamille quite often. Uh, Legoist by Egoist is a double reference uh, to ego Waffles. Catchphrase "Lego My Ego" and the egoist cologne launched by Chanel in 1990. Uh, interestingly enough, Pinky and the Pinky in the Brain episode that would poke fun of the uh, ego catchphrase was "Lego My Ego," uh, which we'll get to down the line. Uh, one of the other horses' names is Isle of Yap, which is <laughs> <laughs> which is a reference to uh, the the Jip parody category featured in Win Big, but it's also a reference to the Yap Islands, I guess, which are a volcanic archipelago and the western caroline islands in the western pacific and yap is the largest of these 14 islands and...
0: yeah i have to mention i thought that was made up when we were going I over like the huge like cultural reference guide of animaniacs and it's like oh the yap islands are a real thing
2: that's interesting well good to know yeah, uh, and also in the stables, one of the horses' names is Tom, which we assume is a reference to either Tom Ruger, animatix creator Tom Ruger, or or writer Tom Minton. Dad, can you confirm confirm this? Was the Tom I, I think the yeah,
1: I think I think that was uh, I think that might have been for uh, Tom Ruger, okay. but uh, not really sure because once again, um, we were given some latitude, you know, because um, you know I would approve as the director, I would approve the backgrounds and layouts. So sometimes the, things like that weren't in the script. You know, a lot of times they right. would just, we just come up with something. Hey, you, you know, you want to be in this one or that one. Uh, so I think it was Ruger, but I'm not, okay. I'm, I don't remember exactly.
2: Yeah, we could kind of figured. Yeah. The, the Warners also make a cameo. Uh, you see the Warner siblings in the crowd. They're one of the spectators watching the big race and, right. and hollering. Yes. Yeah, so you see the, the Warner kids in there, which is kind of a cute little. Get a little reference. You
0: little think family. like this, they're always running around. You think they'd be running on the racetrack or something? <laughs> but this is a nice change of pace. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah.
3: Really
1: well, we could have had them riding by on a horse. You know, I think <laughs> there might have been a, a one because, you know, the boards, you know, as we do the boards, we have gags. We don't always use every gag. So, right. I don't remember whether we might have had them run through the scene or we might have had them riding on a horse. So, I didn't board the entire cartoon. I mean, there were other people boarding on the cartoon, so, yep. so I believe the idea of putting them in the bleachers was not. It wasn't my idea, but I thought that was a good place to put them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah,
0: yeah. You, you see them right there. They make their appearance. Right. Yeah. Um, brain. Oh, sorry.
1: No, that's good. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Uh brain references Willie Shoemaker, who was a jockey who held the world record for the most total professional jockey victories for. 29 years, including 11 triple crown race wins. Wow.
1: (laughs) There was always a, uh, Tom always had this mentality, Ruger always has a mentality that even though you have a gag cartoon or funny cartoon, it doesn't mean you couldn't teach something, you know? And that was a part of how he pitched the show. You know, one of the reasons why there are educational elements in the show throughout, not just Pinking the Brain, but most of the shows or some of the shows anyway was that that's what he believed was important but he did think that you know he didn't want that to get in the way of the humor you know so it was like he would stick these things in and he figured well somebody's interested they'll find it Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: um clearly you guys are paying attention
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I like i like being able to like jot those things down it's like oh i wonder who that person is and then like you you do your research so i think yeah if tom if you're listening and you kind of thought about this through i think you did your uh you did your job there
3: oh yeah we're
0: learning things mission accomplished
2: (laughs) yeah definitely i always loved it uh, whenever you would learn something you know in a cartoon but they did it in a fun way you know where you would remember it yeah like like for example um uh the word aglets which are those little things in the ends of your shoes a lot of people remember that being mentioned in uh phineas and ferb Fur, but I actually remember it most from Pinky and the Brain, because there's a episode, uh, one of the very last spin-off episodes, called... Uh,
0: the Pinky and the Brain reunion special?
2: Yeah, the reunion special. And at one point, Brain screams out, aglets, because he's like really upset about something. So that just stuck in my mind. Oh, aglets. <laughs> and I haven't <laughs> forgotten it since. So it was part of a joke, but it's also educational in a way. You remember that because it's such a, a memorable scene. So... I always like that when you, you learn something or like with the Warners, when they would go back in time and you would learn some kind of history lesson with the characters that they were interacting with, but they did it in a fun way. So I always like those. Yeah. Or any one of their songs. Or those. Yeah, those too. So like the, I mean, obviously the most famous, the Countries of the World song with Yakko. So yeah. many people, you know, love that song and even remember a lot of the lyrics because it's such a fun, memorable song.
1: Yeah yeah well, that was a a pure example of what I was meaning about him being putting educational elements into the cartoon, but making it fun, yeah
3: mm-hmm. and
1: you know we were just so fortunate too i mean my gosh the 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 voice talent on this show, as was with many of the shows we did, was just so excellent, you know, and to have these folks who could do. You know, Rob did that, and I think he did it in like one take yeah. or something.
2: You yeah, he did, I think. And
1: uh, you know, to do something like that with it written the way it's written and to have it deliver it so well—that's that's what makes you remember it. And then, of course, you know, the, the direction and the, the animation, everything about it worked. And you know, that this you just you just get lucky. You know, I mean, everything about the show I think worked great, and that's why it was you know a big hit. You know, overall.
0: Yeah. And actually, uh, since we brought up educational songs, um, the last final fact is the song that Brain sings, Campdown Races, would later be repurposed <laughs> in this first uh, song segment from the Pinky and the Brain spinoff, which is Brainstem, in which Brain and Pinky educate the viewers on the parts of the human brain in a very fun and comedic fashion.
4: Yes. Neocortex frontal lobe. Brainstem! Hippocampus neural node, right hemisphere. Pons and cortex visual, right stem, right stem. Sylvian Fisher pineal, left hemisphere. Cerebellum left, cerebellum right. Synapse hypothalamus, striatum dendrite. <laughs> All
3: right. Yeah, that was really cute too.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember watching that a lot in high school and just being like in love with like the delivery of the song
2: and just everything.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, that was a memorable one
1: too. That's <laughs> yeah, fun stuff to do. I think you know making Brain to this you know super genius character. You kind of I would you know I always wondered uh, would would kids pick up on that. You know they say what? because I remember as a little kid, you know, there would be cartoon characters that I kind of wanted to imitate. And I thought, well, you know, Brains is not a bad character to imitate because he's so, so intelligent. And he's so, <laughs> such a genius. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, but he kind of goes off the rails here and there, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but I think in some ways that's good because there is information that's being, you know, put out in the cartoon, whether it's a hundred percent accurate is not necessarily the most <laughs> important thing. It's, it's just the personality and the character that you're trying to, convey and hopefully you know kids would kind of pick up on that and enjoy it so
2: yeah, yeah well we certainly enjoyed it I, I definitely appreciate brain as a character more now as an adult oh yeah uh, when i was when I was a kid pinky is I think you know definitely the character that kids would connect with more yeah and that was me as a kid yeah it's like pinky was the one that was my favorite as a kid but as I've gotten older brain's actually my favorite now uh, I just really <laughs> appreciate how his character was done uh, a lot more now that I'm now that I'm an adult.
0: Yeah, I can not <laughs> confirm too. When I was a kid, I would like want to be like Pinky, just like jumping around being like egad or saying narf around the house. <laughs> I-, I loved his energy and I still love Pinky. But as I gotten older, there's something about brain that I just I really appreciate. I love his sardonic wit and just like even like when I was a teenager, I would try to like pick up on some of the stuff that he was saying. Because he's just (laughs) such a cerebral character, (laughs) and it's like, okay, I'm like learning things from him, even though some of the stuff that he says is sometimes techno babble, but sometimes some things that he says are kind of legit. So, yeah, but yeah, um, but now that like I've rewatched the show as an adult, I've really am just like so enamored with Brain and just his, you know, he's so he's so funny on like a very dry and sophisticated (laughs) level, but he's also. He's still also very complex, as we'll see down the line in the spin-off series and in the reboot, know, yeah, he
2: has a lot of backstory like he's he could come up as kind of stiff and kind of a grump, but he's a very lovable grump the more you come to yeah. him
0: I also find him very like you know somewhat like inspirational too because he's like he's a lovable failure, like Wiley e. coyote he's <laughs> like he has his goal, but and he never gives up, and like even when you learn that like he wants to make the world a better place or he believes that he can guide Earth in like the right direction that kind of deepens his motivation. So he's like, he's not just like a megalomaniac. He like generally wants to like do something positive, even if his means are like super questionable, like they were in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really it's really cool because it's like you feel like you feel bad for the guy. You kind of want something to go right for Brain, but you also admire his (laughs) determination and his perseverance in the face of adversity.
2: Yeah, his tenacity <laughs> and, and that whole like theme of never give up. I seem to recall, I think, in an interview, Maurice LaMarche, uh, Brain's voice actor, mentioned that that was like uh, one of the messages of the uh, of the show was don't give up on your dreams. Was even if it seems impossible, go for it anyway. Uh, that It's it's such a high, lofty ambition for this little lab mouse to have. But he continually through the years believes that he will do it. And that in a way can be inspirational in a way to those watching the shows. Like, you know, no matter what people tell you or how big or impossible your dreams seem, go for it anyway. Don't give up on it, which I thought was a really cool little notation that he that he mentioned.
0: Yeah. So I think now we should just uh briefly go over our thoughts on the episode.
2: Yeah, we'll go over our thoughts, give our rating, and then uh then we'll finally get into the interview questions, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, I'll go first. I thought that this episode was a really entertaining Pinky and the Brain story. Uh, Sometimes there are episodes that are focused on get-rich-quick schemes, and this is definitely one of the more amusing Moneymaker episodes. I love just how ridiculous it is to see Brain as a jockey riding this big old horse, and Pinky's romantic inclinations towards Farfig Newton managed to be both strange and adorable at the same time. (laughs) Even though this episode was a little bit shorter than I expected, I appreciate that it doesn't waste any time. It doesn't mosey about. It really focuses on setting up the stakes and building towards that climax. And it's just so well-paced. And this is one of those episodes where Brain has pretty much thought up of every detail. And it seems like he would, you know, get a win and be victorious. But his plan was foiled by Farvik Newton's love for Pinky. And I liked how that was like set up as a joke, but that actually had a payoff. And overall, I thought that this was a really strong episode, and it features a lot of great jokes and humorous moments.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's a very cute little episode. It's just short and sweet. It has probably the most ridiculous plan I've ever heard of, but that's why I love it. That's why it makes it hilarious. I just love this idea that Brain has of, we're going to make the world spin around so fast and then make it stop quickly and everyone's going to fly off the earth Yeah, <laughs> but we'll be fine because we're duct taped to a tree i just think that's so funny there's some very funny lines of situations in this segment uh, such as the you know please never breathe bit, and the heavens are multiplying like i really like the little jokes and i like i love brain dressed up as a jockey very cute and funny and a little love thing going on between picky and farthing newton it's like it's really out of left field, but it's also kind of cute in a way. So, yeah, very cute little episode.
0: Yep. So uh, now let's quickly go over our Narf ratings.
3: The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. brain. Narf!
0: I'm going to give uh, Jockey for Position 8.5 Narfs out of 10. It's definitely really funny and solid episode. Great stuff.
2: Very, very fun. And I will give Jockey for position around the same. I will give it a seven nerfs out of 10. Very cute, fun little episode. I put it about, you know, around the same as, uh, you know, Jeperity, the one big one and uh, some of the other past ones. Um, I like that it's, that it's short and sweet and that it has some really funny jokes in it, some great brain moments. And... um just really cute and I, I I like the whole thing between farfic newton and pinky it, it was very cute mm-hmm.
0: so yeah let's um let's go over back into uh the interview questions cool cool
2: so we're we're finally getting to the questions dad you still awake enough to go, to go through?
1: yes i'm still here okay. <laughs> I, was just, I was just making myself a cup of tea there you know, okay. <laughs> so i did not hope hope you didn't hear my microwave going in the background there (laughs) i I didn't
2: really hear it no you're good yeah neither did (laughs) i
1: yeah i muted it so i hope you didn't
0: Uh, okay yeah sure go ahead so uh, let me ask you um a couple of animaniacs related questions all right so uh what was the overall vibe working on the show uh were your co-workers friendly amiable helpful
1: yes uh it was a great a great bunch we were We were pretty much uh, like the termite tourists, you know, I I remember. And and that was almost intentional. But it was like we knew we were working on a fun cartoon series and everybody contributed. And it was the 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 attitude was just great. You know, it was like we we had a lot of fun and it was because we were given this opportunity that we decided to make the most of it. I think the, maybe the best thing about it was Tom Ruger giving us this kind of freedom. You know, it was like, he wanted us to take chances. He wanted us to try new things. He wanted us to, to have fun and share our ideas. And that was great. And then of course, yeah, the people were great. I mean, there wasn't really, I can't say there was any rivalry or anything like that. There wasn't any, um,
0: big egos, you know,
1: there wasn't, yeah i mean not really i i now that i think back i i don't recall that at all it just seemed like we were having fun and um laughing a lot you know they would show what we we'd see cartoons come back we'd see dailies on stuff and we'd just be you know falling down laughing you know and you know that has a tremendous effect on what you're doing you know because it, it gets into what you're doing it's so that you see a funny cartoon somebody else has done and then you want to do a funny one too you know So that really was how it was. You know, we we were very fortunate to be in that kind of an environment. And I I give Tom a lot of credit. Tom Ruger and Gene McCurdy were the best bosses I've ever had. You know, they they were two people who really loved cartoons, loved animation, and loved the people that made them. And, um, you know, Gene McCurdy was, you know, she was the big boss, you know, but she never got involved with the cartoon. She never tried to tell us how to do it she pretty, you know, she was very, very helpful and, and very, uh, uh, you know, supportive with Tom, of course, you know, as a writer himself and he had his own crew and they were just great. You know, every, we just, you get a, you get a script, it's like, okay, here we go. You know, off we go. And you were just looking forward to the next one. It's like, well, okay, what's the next one going to be like? You know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a good experience. It was a good time. Um, good people to work around. A lot of these people are still my friends today. They live out near me here. I have, quite a few of the folks that I work with that are directors are out here uh, where I live. And so, yeah, it's, it was just, you make friends like that, you keep them for life.
2: Mm. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You can have a great show, but if you don't have a great crew, uh, you know, it can go, go down in quality. But when you have that great crew, it just makes it that much better and that much more special. Yeah. So that's great that yeah. you had just a fantastic, you know, everybody was working together and having a good time and, and you can see that in the work. You can tell, you know, from watching the shows that they were having, you guys were having as much fun making them as we were watching them. Probably exactly. Probably for fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can see yeah.
1: it. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not something that happens at every studio. You know, it's like I've worked, I've worked in a lot of places and, um, it doesn't happen everywhere. And, uh, you know, you, you do have a lot of times what happens is you, you work in a really nice place and there's a kind of an elitist kind of attitude you know there's the folks who are like you know they're the important ones and you know everybody else is kind of underneath and they're not so important you know and you feel it and they let you know it you know they they, it's real obvious you know but not on this Not that didn't happen here this was uh different (laughs) it was very different you know and you know when it's different Mm -hmm. and it's and even up to the time that we won awards when we were nominated and stuff the very first time we went to the daytime Emmys, even though we didn't win that time, it was, it was just, there was just, there's such a tingling excitement, everything, you know, every show, you know, all of the shows, cause we were nominated all across the board. Oh yeah. You know, you guys want a Peabody. We did. Yeah. I, mean, I got it. I got one here somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really something. It was a great experience. <laughs> yeah. Awesome.
0: That's awesome. Um, and, Going off of that, were there any interesting work-related anecdotes that you would like to share?
1: Hmm. Um, well, let's see. Well, um, Well, I, I probably mentioned about Spielberg was like such a cool guy and that he would come and do things and come and hang out with us at the studio sometimes, which was always a thrill. Um, I remember, and I think I may, might have mentioned this before, but um, he... Bought the studio. He bought us some some pastries one time, which is not an easy thing to do because the studio at the time, I think there was about, I want to say somewhere in the neighborhood of about three, maybe three hundred, three four hundred people. Wow. Between like you know, um, Animaniacs, um, Batman, Tasmania, you know, there's a bunch of things going on, and he got us some pastries, and I remember. He uh, put a little car. He's. I guess he, he he mentioned it to Tom, and he says, "Well, go you know go go on in the in the conference room. I get stuff for you guys." We go into the conference room, and we had this big table in the shape of a WB, you know. and it, which oh. was, it was so it, it was such a big table. It was so a huge cool. table, so that it was so big that when we had our production meetings, we could all all the directors could sit around, and all of the you know production. And so so it was a pretty big table, yeah, pretty big room. We go in the room, the entire table has got pastries on it all the way, covering the entire table, and going almost up to the ceiling. I
2: mean, it must have been. Dang.
1: Could have been, like, yeah, it was like 10 by 6, you know, just, you know, muffins and donuts and, you know, eclairs. And we're just like, oh my. That reminds
0: me of the be our guest thing where it's like. Food high.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so yeah cool. It was kind of like that, you know, and he had a little card on his side. I really appreciate you guys. You do great work. We love you. And, uh, you know, just keep going. keep doing great stuff. And that was just Spielberg being nice. I mean, I don't know. He must've spent like, you know, I don't know, 20, 20 grand on that or something, but I mean, it was an, I remember I, that lasted for a couple of days. Oh, you know? I bet.
0: <laughs> Everybody's just taking home, like, you know, as much yeah. grabbing their Tupperwares. <laughs> that's so cool
1: yeah it was really something and i just it was little things like that you know that were you know you didn't expect you know but it was all a part of what we were doing and uh, made it made a difference
0: yeah and i think like like you said earlier like having spielberg you know genuinely encourage like everybody on board kind of helps make that environment seem like inviting and just everybody's like being appreciated and rewarded for their efforts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, here's a guy who's, know, yeah, he's the first multimillionaire I ever met and, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I mean, he's just a regular guy, mm-hmm. you know, he's, just, he's, you know, like somebody, you know, you just know him personally and he's nothing, uh, you know, highfalutin about him or, and I've met a lot of celebrities And, uh, you know, a lot of them are kind of nice, you know, you got some that are kind of full of themselves, but, (laughs) you know, but, but, and Spielberg certainly could have been that way. And he certainly could have been so busy that he wouldn't have had time for us cartoon people, you know, but, uh, no, he wasn't like that at all. He was, he was very uh, warm and giving and kind, and it took the time, you know, to say thank you and took the time to let us know when we'd done a good job and. You know I and I got when I got to meet him and I think I may have mentioned this story as well I met him the first time personally talked to him after he had finished making Jurassic park and um he had just flown back uh from Hawaii you know after that big storm they had when they were shooting the movie yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh, I got to meet him and he was just so cool you know and he would answer questions and talk to us and everything that was great you know that that was something that was yeah, I got some pictures from that. I'll never forget that. That was a great time.
2: That's so cool. It's That's awesome. Yeah, great yeah. to hear that, you know, that he's really down to earth like that. Um, yeah. Especially, as like he's my favorite director and continues to be to this day. And just really cool that he is, you know, not, you know, not the type uh, to kind of put himself on a really high pedestal or anything. It's like he actually got down to earth with you guys and was approachable, yeah, and friendly and did all these and did nice things like that. Like it really leaves an impression on people on the crew. It,
0: it, does, it does leave like a very positive mark and it is cool that you, you have like he's definitely one of the most like high profile like directors working and he's just, you know, appreciating everybody's efforts and doing going out of his way to like reward everybody. It seems
2: really yeah. cool, yeah, very, very cool. well, we got uh three more questions uh Mary Joe, would you like me to ask the next one? Yeah, sure, go ahead. okay, so we actually have a question from one of our listeners uh for you All Dad. Right? and uh they this is from their screen name is two opposite sides of one coin <laughs> and they ask. What pop culture figure or cultural movement would you have loved to have seen Pinky and the Brain poke fun at or interact with? Bonus points if this movement or figure was at their peak between the 90s spinoff and the 2020 reboot. Wow. And I think, Pines, was this your little anecdote at the end? Ben? No, that's uh, that was from Two Opposite Sides of One Coin. Okay. they They say personally they think Pinky would have been... Been buck wild for Lady Gaga during the during the (laughs) Born This Way era. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, but they're curious what you dad, what pop culture figure or cultural movement would you have loved to have seen Pinky and poke fun at or interact with?
1: Hmm. Well, that's a tricky one. Wow, trying to think about what was big back then too.
0: Could I? Oh, oh, yeah, you go first. Yeah, go ahead. All right, because my pitch um, for like whatever pop culture movement they should parody. They should honestly parody Fleetwood Mac. Just have a <laughs> Pinky and Brain parody Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham. But it's Pinky Nicks and Lindsay Brainingham. Oh, parody, that would
3: like, be really good. They that would parody funny. like the
0: cover. Because one of our friends, um, one of our friends online, they did a um drawing of that album cover, the rumors one. Where it's oh, like- is that Shun mm-hmm. that did that? Shun did that, oh, yeah. God,
1: yeah. <laughs> one of my, that's one of my favorite albums.
0: Wow, yeah, God. and um, we like make fun of like, oh, one of the songs, the chain would be the brain. It's like if <laughs> Do you don't know now. Never love me again, and it's like I could still hear you saying you would never break the brain, never break the brain.
1: Oh, that would be that would have been great. Gosh, right. that you know, you know what? That I I would have to say that would be it for me because I was a big uh, Fleet, well, I still am a big Fleetwood Mac fan. Anyway, big Stevie Nicks fan. I didn't love that. Yeah, golly, I you know because I was trying to think. My like, gosh, who would I who would I pick? But yeah. Chris, stevie Nick that you know that, that goes back my thought that, that would have been like well that was the 80s too was yeah it? Like 70s 80s? 80s yeah
0: they did the reunion tour in the 90s that was huge
1: you're right well Stevie Nicks was like she was going solo by that time I think oh yeah um yeah that would be <laughs> that would be pretty funny but <laughs> uh, you know it would per it would work perfectly too because of the duo
0: yeah you know, of
1: course there were more people in that alley, in the in the band than just two but you're talking about the two the headliners yeah they
0: like they went in the band late and they like usurped the power of the band. It's like it's on them. And they were like they do have like like their collaboration, like they had like this raw like tension and like their songs mm-hmm. would be like so there's so much animosity in some of the songs. Like um <laughs> The Chain obviously and then uh Silver Springs.
1: Yeah. I was trying to figure out how Gold Dust Woman would work. Uh I can't think of that. Oh, that
0: you mean um, kings make, ba- uh, rulers make, make bad lovers, so put your kingdom up for sale. Rulers
1: make bad lovers. <laughs> that, would, <laughs> yeah. that would definitely
0: describe Pinky describing brain. That's pretty That,
1: would, that could work. That could work. God, see, now, now, see what you started now? Now, I'm thinking of a Pinky in the brain cartoon. She answered your question like for
2: that. you. That she got you rolling. <laughs>
1: that's perfect. Yeah, that, that would be it. You know, Because I, I was trying to think of something that resonated with me at that time. And even though that's the end of the nineties or end of the eighties, rather kind of going into the nineties more, uh, yeah, I would say Fleetwood Mac, a Fleetwood Mac <laughs> <laughs> spoof would be fun to do with Pinky in the Brain. That would, that would be a kicker. Yeah.
0: They did like, they did country music and they did Fred, uh, Sinatra. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Golly. So would,
0: yeah. So it would be cool like, see them do like Fleetwood Mac. Like if anybody from the reboot is listening right now please accept this idea <laughs> like i don't maybe even maybe. care if i get credited just, just please
1: yeah i mean that that would be that would be a really good one to do you could do that yeah maybe yeah, if somebody's if, if somebody that's working on the show now and listen to you yeah, do it i mean that's <laughs> i think that could work very well if it's done right yeah get the right writer for it you yeah know, put it together yeah. and everything but yeah that could be really funny
2: cool cool yeah well we got Two questions left, I think, uh Mary Jo, would you like to do the last two, or do you want me to do first one then you do the last one how do you how would you like to do it um since I did the previous one, do you want to do this one uh sure, I'll do this one, and then you can do the last one cool uh, okay, so uh another pinky and the brain question here uh so we know you worked on the uh pinky and the Brain spin off show as a board artist for a couple of the episodes, and one of them was pinky suavo right, and in the in the Pinky and the Brain fandom, uh, Swavo's actually become kind of popular with some people. Like he even has his own little day associated to him called Swavo Sunday, <laughs> where people <laughs> will draw him on Sundays. So it's kind of funny. Uh, but what are you, do you remember working on that episode? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, do you have any um, memories of that oh, working on that or any production art of that episode at all?
1: um yeah i think because uh, it was one of the last pinky in the brain things i did yeah i think i do have uh boards or something from it wow. uh but i don't remember it that well because uh that was once again a while ago Um, i think mike milo was uh either producer or director on the show at the time i just come off of um what did i come off? i just came off of the uh waynehead series i think or whatever it was uh, producing that show and so i ended up doing boards on pinky and brain because i knew it was they were doing it and i was like oh yeah i want to work on this again Mm -hmm. but yeah i don't remember the details on that um but i do believe i do still have some work from it
2: i'm looking to see who uh who worked who else worked on that episode oh i found a picky yeah mike milo yeah was on that and wendell morris and tom shepard were also on (laughs) yeah
1: yeah 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 Yeah. wendell was that's right yeah Yeah. because we were yeah, because I think I left. A little, when was that? Was that ninety five or ninety? That had been like
0: just, the episode probably might have, have been released around like ninety seven or ninety
1: eight. Ninety. Okay, so it probably was like right after I left because I worked on the board and the cushion. Everything goes through production, and I think I left the either ninety five or ninety six, and I went to Disney after that. But um,
2: okay, I looked it up. Pinky swallow. But uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, It said Picky Suave debuted uh, October 4th, 1997. Uh, But you are credited though. It's like your name is on it. So I guess maybe you were, you know, came back for that just for. for
1: Yeah, well, probably, you know, either that or maybe I freelanced a little bit on it. But I know I worked on it before I left. I remember that. Okay. Yeah, because. Yeah, because I ended up working uh, at Disney after that. I went to uh, Disney on the Tigger movie. Oh yeah, I
2: love that movie. Okay, that was right after. Yeah, yeah,
1: they they brought me onto that. I was a board artist and a layout artist on that. Another great opportunity. That was probably one of my best Disney gigs. Was the Tigger movie?
0: Such a cute little. movie. Oh my goodness, that movie kind of just broke my heart (laughs) as an eight-year-old because it's like Tigger was like sad because you know, like I love like when you take characters who are normally jovial and upbeat and kind of put them in a dramatic situation which is what yeah. like pinky and the brain succeeds at, at, at like in their yeah. show. but um that movie and then the search for christopher robin movie that was oh, aired yeah. like in yeah. like 97 where it's like you take these like lovable like wholesome characters and then you give them like drama and it's like them having to go through that it's like yes <laughs> Give me the eight. Yeah, that
1: was done well. <laughs> it was beautifully done well. June Falkenstein directed that and and she just did a fantastic job of depicting uh Tigger in his down moments, you know. It, it was, that was something that yeah, hadn't been done before and uh, with Tigger. And uh, it's fun to work on that whole thing, man. I was it's a blast. Yeah. that was that was a wonderful experience that did when disney is different because i had different experiences different studios and some of my experiences at disney's were really nice and that was one of them so
2: yeah that was i can imagine that it must have been a really fun project to work on and i have it was. very fond memories of that that movie to this day It's such a sweet little film yeah
0: yeah um since we were kind of like on the topic of suavo should we drop our hot takes pluto On the character, (laughs) on the on like on the character and on that episode, you can if you
2: want. I'll let you go first.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, some of you in the Pinky the Brain fandom are probably not going to be delighted by this, but I I
2: thought the episode was kind of mediocre. It's like it it looked like a fun episode to work on, but yeah, it's like it's one of those episodes where I'm like, i Some people love Suavo. Uh, They're just like huge fans of the character. And I'm the exact opposite. I'm like Swavo. No, <laughs> like, I like I like Pinky <laughs> in his pure form, and I cannot stand Swavo. But I can also see him being like a fun character to work on because like it's pushing, you know, it's really pushing a, a personality. You know, it's really kind of uh, pushing what's going on in the moment. So. And
0: then coupled with yeah. Rob pulses over the top like yeah. French <laughs> Spanish
2: accent. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what he was doing, but he sounded like he was having a blast doing it.
1: (laughs) Well, he always has a blast doing everything. But see, I you know I don't remember that one as well because you know that was one of the last things I worked on, and I don't. Yeah, yeah, you think I remember it really well, but I didn't. You know, and I wasn't directing on that. See, so
2: maybe maybe when we get to that episode on the line, maybe we'll bring you back back as a guest and I'll, I could show you the episode again so you can get familiar with it. And then maybe we've yeah. jog some memories.
1: Yeah. Would, Cause I, yeah. Cause that was, that was one that I, I don't remember too well at all. You know, it was like, I remember just a little bit about it, but not, not a lot.
2: Yeah. yeah it's, it's one of the later ones. It doesn't come in until season three of uh, yeah. the brain. So it was kind of one of the later episodes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it had like an interesting premise, but it just, it didn't, push it enough because it was like a seven minute long episode of like it could have been longer and I felt like there could have been more like drama like maybe brain misses the old pinky and like that could (laughs) have been like the conflict where it's like oh Suavo's charming everybody but I miss pinky
2: yeah they kept it kind of short it was an episode there was a segment paired with another segment so it was a two segment episode so they had that one and they had one other one I think it was called they that came right after it uh, so it, they had to keep it short, but, but yeah, I, that was one that I also wish it had, had a little more drama involved in it. But, uh, yeah, when we, when we get to it, we can show you the episode again, dad. So you can kind of get an idea of what it was like and maybe that'll jog back some memories. And if you ever do find any of the boards that you worked on on that or jockey for position or any of those definitely would love to see them. Uh, so we can, share them oh, with yeah, people. Sure. people would love to see that. Oh Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. If I run across it, I absolutely will. Uh, you know, if I run, can run across, it. Can run across I have, it. I have been going through my storage stuff, and I actually have been cleaning out things, and so uh, nice. you know, I know eventually I will run across it. So yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: I know that the the you know my my take on where things were when that when that we were doing that spinoff it was a very different uh, atmosphere hmm. at the studio then that it was back in the, when we, you know, we were doing Animaniacs in this initial um, run. Um, I think, and I can't speak for everyone, obviously on this, because I had come off of producing, I had come off of some other things. And so I came onto that and, you know, did boards on it. I sensed that the, um, the enthusiasm was waning. And, and I would have to say, that some of that might've been based on the fact that we saw where the studio was going. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, you'll notice that I said I was, I left after that. And the reason that I left <clears throat> was mainly because of what was happening right. because um, Turner was taking over Warner brothers by, you know, he bought out the uh, libraries, the Warner libraries, which they really should not have given to him, mm-hmm. sold to him. But you know, it was a lot of money involved, so naturally they took it. Um, but he ended up acquiring um, Warner Brothers, you know, and that's how it became Time Warner. Oh yeah, they made fun and, of that um, in uh
0: Wacko's Wish with the uh the <laughs> king being from TikTokia, and it's like, oh, it's he's wearing were- <laughs> oh, it's time warner. And
3: like yeah, it was yeah. like, well, you know. Oh, okay.
1: That and that's very typical of how you deal with situations that you didn't like is that you'd you make you caricature them some way but i i have a feeling and once again like i can't say this I, I don't know how anybody else felt about it it just seemed like to me that that initial enthusiasm that we had was not there when we were making those cartoons as it was when we made the first ones you know there was the first few seasons you know exemplified all the energy and fun and everything that you all probably love about these characters and about the cartoons. But as it got towards the end, before Warner brothers changed and shifted hands, it was very different. Mm-hmm. It was not right. the same, you know, environment. And like I said, and that's really why I left. Cause I probably would not have left. It had not been that shift in the way the energy of the studio had changed, you know? Right. And, you know, it wasn't because necessarily of the people mm-hmm. there, it was because of what was happening from the top down. Right. You know, the, the things were shifting and we knew that you know they were the things were we knew things were changing and not necessarily for the better mm-hmm. and, and, that, and that we were right you know and so that you know i mean you know it survives of course and the beauty is if you got good people on a show it just keeps it's going to be good stuff so even after that you know they they did make some good cartoons so I don't mean to say that there wasn't energy. Yeah. It's just that it was different, you know, from when I was there in the hot, in the heat of
3: mm-hmm.
1: it, it shifted a little bit. Yeah. Cause even after I left, I mean, they were still making good Animaniacs. It was still happening. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't over yet. Yeah. So
2: Yeah, it is.
1: But thank God that I had, we all didn't leave, you know, was, right. I had a good opportunity. So I took it, you yeah. know, but.
0: Cause um, yeah. I was yeah. actually going to mention, uh, Peter Hastings actually left uh, Warner brothers. Cause like, he didn't like how things were changing and he actually uh, wrote, you'll never eat food pellets in this town again. And like out of like spite. (laughs)
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, they, you know, this, the whole thing of what's happened with the reboot is very typical of how Hollywood, uh, you know, doesn't appreciate that what's come before, you know, Tom's left out of this whole thing. All the writers, I believe were left out all the directors were left out. You know, the only, the only people that, that they've kept, of course, are the voices because they don't really have much of a choice. You know, you don't know, you certainly aren't going to want to get other people to play pinky in the brain, do voices. You know, they'd just be trying to do an imitation mm-hmm. that wouldn't be nearly as good as the original voices. So they kept the voices, uh, and they kept Spielberg, <laughs> but they got rid of everybody else. <laughs> yeah. It's a tricky,
2: it's a tricky situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of a sad one. Like, a I mentioned, you know, to you guys, pre-recording, you know, off off-screen before that. I wish it had been a. Uh, I personally wish it had been kind of a half and half situation where they had had a lot of the old crew return because uh, you know you guys know these characters inside out and uh, yeah. helped form them, uh, started the show, mm-hmm. and so that you guys know them best. But also have some new crew come in who can add something fresh to the table as well. Yeah, uh, for a younger audience that um, is more familiar with how things work today and incorporate that into the show. So I wish that it had been a symbiosis. But I mean, you know, we don't really know what happened uh, behind the scenes uh, to have them take a different direction. A different direction, and it is it is disappointing. It's like I I myself wish that. We had, you know, a lot of the original crew come back um, along with new faces, uh, but instead they decided to get all new faces. And and granted, it's like I know that the people there are doing the best that, that, you know, the best that they can do. And they also have a great love for these characters because a lot of them grew up watching the show. Mm-hmm. So they also yeah. have a great fondness for uh, the Warners and Pinky and the Brain. And, you know, I know they're they're incorporating, you know, to the show. Uh, their own fondness for these characters. And
0: there's also like yeah. a lot of talented artists who are working on it, and they're doing their best.
1: They're, they are. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't say that, that, that. From what I've seen, I haven't seen much of the news show, but that that I have seen is beautiful. I, it's clearly obvious that these people like the show. They liked what Animaniacs was, and they clearly uh, are mimicking it or bringing their own whatever to it good for them i mean i'm happy about that you know it's not a sour grapes thing at all you know i mean they they didn't ask us you know and 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 it's a typical hollywood thing Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times when a new company comes up to do a reboot a show that will happen they'll have a whole new crew of people and that's fine you know that's fine i mean i i'm i was surprised that they didn't ask ruger because he actually created the show you know Mm -hmm. but um But, you know, so I don't know what that feels like. I mean, I, I, well, I guess I kind of do, but, (laughs) you know, but, but, you know, but, uh, but no, I mean, I think they've done a fine job. So I certainly don't, don't want to say anything negative about the the new show. I think it looks great. So good for them. Keep going, you know.
0: Yeah. That actually answers our last question, which was um, if you've watched it, watched the reboot, and what were your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, they've, uh, clearly, these people like the show, you know. I've I've seen reboots of other shows where I'm not, um, it's not exciting to watch it, you know. <laughs> but uh, Animaniacs they, they they've done a fine job. I mean, it looks some of the shows look just like the old shows, you know. So I'm like, well,
2: <laughs> did you watch the? You know, I,
1: I guess somebody said, well, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. I mean, I've seen, you know, Ducktales. I felt I didn't think it looked better, you know. Like I worked in. I worked on Ducktales and Ducktales was was a great show, um, but I don't think the new show looks as good as the old one. You know, I mean, it's got some nice things in it here and there, but I didn't really think it was that great. And I know they, they I know there a Muppet Babies show when I worked on the original Muppet Babies as well, and I haven't seen the new show, but I I'd heard some good things about it, but I don't know. You know, maybe it's better. I don't know.
0: Actually, and, and just, yeah, you know. I actually heard. Um, I watched some um, episodes and clips and. I think it's like it's different from like the original. It does seem more like it's targeted for like preschool age kids, but it mm. does it it does like embrace sort of like the Muppets like background like they do bring in more characters from the old show they brought in like Rizzo the Rat in one episode like he's a recurring character, and then they brought in like a baby Sam Eagle and like you know <laughs> they they do all those things and but yeah, I haven't watched all of it. But from what I've seen, I actually like. So. Yeah, some
1: some new show Ruby reboots are great. Um, I worked on My Little Pony, which I wasn't crazy about when I was working on it years ago. But the reboots, the new My Little Pony, I think, is gorgeous. It's beautifully animated. And, you know, the style of it is is better than what we did originally. So sometimes they improve it, you know. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: she wrote another uh, example.
1: Oh, Shira. Yeah, exactly. Yeah Shira. yeah, Shira. You know, I worked on the original Shira, which was fun. Had a good time. But I got to say, the new one is better. You know, it's different, but it's certainly done well. So sometimes, uh, you know, it's better. <laughs> yeah,
2: sometimes it improves upon it. Sometimes not as much. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, very much opinion based, too. Like the DuckTales, you know, I wasn't as crazy about the look of it when I first saw it. It's still beautifully done, uh, but. I like the original more in regards to style, but I haven't actually yeah. watched more than the pilot, but I've heard that some people really do like the show a lot for the script.
3: Yeah. And how they do the
2: characters. And I heard that they actually do, you know, they bring some old characters back in and I think they even pay uh tribute to some of the comics. Yeah. Which is oh, kind of cool. neat. So like, I, mm. you know, I can't really rightly really judge it, I can.
0: I've
2: seen, you can. Yeah, I can. I watched
0: well, all of it and I I love the show. I mean, I know the art style is different, but they're definitely going more towards like the it's comic roots. So it's okay, kind of more emulating of, the Carl cool. Bark's uh comics. Okay,
2: that's So that's cool. why they
0: look different from the old show cuz I I do like the old show's art style too. And it took me a while mm. to like adjust to like the new style, but but I I mainly love it because I love the story. I love I love how it does like I love the characters a lot because um they give the triplets personalities. Um they definitely improved webby big time. They also add in like a lot of new characters. Um they also add in like their mom Della who's just like amazing. Like they like they have her involved. Um Donald Duck who's like more of a father figure in the show and he's like he's just a guy who just kind of wants to relax and he's just like but they still like Have like a lot of his like, you know, classic personality traits in there, and then his relationship with Daisy in the third season—that's just like the best interpretation of that relationship ever. (laughs) So, and um, they also bring in like a lot of stuff from like the comics. Um, they also brought in like you know, combining the Disney Afternoon. Um, they bring in a lot of like stuff from like the Disney Canon, like the Three Caballeros, their recurring characters, Um, Ludwig von Drake is in it um oh,
3: and cool, cool. yeah
0: and um they also do like a lot of like fun improvements with like some of the villains um Glomgold gold who's like hilarious and like <laughs> one of the funniest bits from that show was like in one episode like there's a scene where it's like they hold scrooge's funeral and then like Glomgold comes in with the sparkling white like you know coat and like hat and then in the background, you hear All I Do Is Win by DJ Khaled playing in the background. Like they actually bought the rights for the song just for that one bit. <laughs> and it's just it's I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like I I mainly watch shows like because I do love like the art style, but like I'm more of like a story person. Like I'm more like yeah. focused on like characters and like their relationships and like the story and that's what drew me to the DuckTales reboot.
2: Yeah, yeah, And that is yeah. what it comes down to is the story and the script. Because like, there's shows I've seen where I really didn't care for the art style at all. It just was not my thing. But the script was so funny that I didn't care over time. It's like, oh, I just am enjoying the uh, the journey. You know, I'm enjoying the comedy. You know, it's just so funny. And then uh, so there's yeah. the
0: opposite situation where you have a show that looks great, but the story is like not there.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah that the opposite can happen too uh so it's great when both are combined though which is why you know reasons why i loved things like animaniacs pinky and the brain and the disney afternoon shows in the 90s because you had this combination of great scripts and great anim- uh, artistic talent so you had you got you got a win-win you had both best of both worlds Best of both yeah. worlds, yet I know that, you know, in a lot of modern shows today, they're still trying to incorporate that into their shows, and sometimes they succeed and do so very well. Yeah. In regards to Animaniacs, it's like, I still definitely like the, I prefer the original show over the reboot, but, you know, I could tell it's like they worked really hard uh, to make the reboot look nice, and uh, in some ways, um, I even like some things more, like the designs of the Warner kids. I think they actually look pretty cute. <laughs> in the reboot but uh yeah so i mean dad did you actually see any of the episodes of the reboot or just like commercials and-
1: of or- uh of, of which of Animania? or, oh, you talk- yeah of, oh yeah yeah i've seen some of the reboots of anime oh, okay, yeah, okay. that, that's why that's why i say it's pretty it's really good yeah. because it looks as good as some of the shows look as good as the original yeah
3: show. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: so yeah no i think they're doing a fine job yeah you know, I just wish we could have worked on it. That's I,
0: yeah. <laughs> but
1: uh, no, that's cool. I mean, it.
0: What yeah. could have been?
1: Oh well, yeah, no. It's, you know, it, yeah. You know, I mean, I think anybody that has had the experiences that we've had doing this stuff is going to feel the same way. You know, you just think naturally. Oh, they're going to do this again. You know, you hope you're going to get to work on it, but Hollywood is like that. You know, Hollywood is is a you know very clicky. You know, and. Oh, we were, we, this is our little group. This is our little group or whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you just, you know, you get used to that, you know? I mean, they're doing a reboot of, uh, pro pro family.
2: Yep. You yeah, know, sure, and I worked yeah.
1: on that show, helped to create it, directed in the third season, you know? So, uh, and I'm not working on that now either, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. not, not because I couldn't work on it, but, uh, you know, I'm retired now anyway, so, <laughs> But, uh, you know, hopefully the show will look as good as it did when we created it. You know, you you always hope that, you know, because you figure the only real reason why that you ever see a a sequel to or a reboot of a show is because it's that good. It's good enough that they want to see people want to see it again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that's good. And that's a success. Yeah, that's a hard fought thing. You know, it's like you don't get that overnight. That doesn't if it doesn't happen with every show, you know, if a show is good. It's funny or entertaining. People are gonna to want to see more of it. Yeah, and that's just the way it is.
0: It's just yeah, let's, make, let's make sure that those are like restricted to animation, not like live action stuff. Because <laughs> there's like the whole debacle <laughs> with like the Powerpuff Girls on the CW, oh, goodness, and then there's definitely. like obviously the last Airbender movie is just a mess.
1: <laughs> well, you've got yeah. you know it's these are executive decisions. Yep, the, why you have those kinds of things happen it. They, they, you know, they're just looking at it from the, from a, a money, a financial standpoint. And not from like an artistic. Uh, made, yeah. I mean, you know, as artists, we, we're not bunch, you know, we, we make things because we like it, you know, we're not necessarily making something just for money. Mm-hmm. You know, we're making it because we're, we we think it's fun or whatever. And, you know, but then there's the money people, there's the folks at the top of the food chain that are writing the checks and signing everybody's checks and giving them money. And so they want to make sure that they're going to get a return on their investment. And, you know, they keep studio open and keep everybody employed. So they just have a very different agenda about what's what. And it's never really about the art form. I mean, you know, every now and then you, you run into an exec that actually cares about the art form a little bit, you know, but most of them don't, most of them are just interested in, you know, you know, what's our bottom line. And, how much money can we save, and can we cut some, you know, budget on this thing? And how quickly can we get it done and get out there and make some money? You know, and it's like, you know, we go, well, guys, that's not that's not how you make something that's good. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, <laughs> you make you make something that's good because you take the time to do it, and you and and you re- re- really thinking about what you're doing. You know, you're not just not just doing it. You know, I just I've just recently been watching. On uh, Netflix, there is a series called uh, "The Movies That Made Us."
0: Oh, okay. oh yeah. Which I
1: would yeah, you might want to watch it. I've and watched
0: like the Toys That pretty- Made Us, which is kind of like a you know sister series.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah it's a series of well it's it's a series. I think it's like two seasons of the show. But what they do is they talk about various movies that were very iconic, and they talk about Back to the Future and Jurassic Park mostly, and, and they talk about the problems that were involved in making them. In almost every situation, it was executive bad executive decisions <laughs> that blocked making something good, and that the way the thing got made was they the the folks the creative people just had to push through and fight all along the way. I mean, Forrest Gump. I just watched the one about Forrest Gump, and we all know Forrest Gump was a you know a huge success and one of the finest films made in Hollywood. The problems they had making that is just absolutely amazing. And 90% of the problems came from the top down. And, uh, you know, my experience as a director and producer and an animator, storyboard artist, so on, I'm not going to say that it's always an executive getting in there. But I will say they have the greatest influence as to whether something good gets made or not. And the metal of the people underneath them—you test their metal. You—that's how you know you got a good crew when they succeed despite all of the roadblocks that they get, despite all the discouragement, despite having the rug pull out from under. I mean, Star Wars. I mean, yeah. the, you know, Lucas had all kinds of problems with Star Wars, but thank God he had a good producer who kind of stuck his neck out for him. Mm-hmm. And this kind of thing happens all the time, and and then they don't—they don't look back and go. Gee, this was a great thing. I think a lot of times what Hollywood does, and I refer to Hollywood as the system, mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood doesn't appreciate the people that do this stuff. They just don't. And it's a it's a mentality that, sadly, is has always been there. <laughs> it hasn't gone anywhere. With every new batch of execs, you have a new batch of problems. And they don't learn from the past. They keep making the same mistakes. But it's, so if we make something good and it actually comes out good, I'm not going to say it's a mistake. It's really a, as a result of the tenacity of the people. You know, Animaniacs is good because we had two really top flight, wonderful people who are our producers, Gene McCurdy and Tom Ruger, two people who stuck their necks out and cared about what we did and didn't get in the way of something good. And that's why it's a good show. It could have been hard. We, we could have fought our way all the way through it. But because of those two people, we succeeded. And I give them a lot of. They were the best bosses, and that's a that's a big thing to say because I worked for a lot of nice people. <laughs> They're the best two bosses I've ever had in this business, and I will wow. stand by that that statement. <laughs>
2: that's nice, really yeah. It's it's, <laughs> it's a fight. It's a fight to try to you know, to get you know have the show that you want it. You want to have seen. And I've heard a lot of those stories too. Um, yeah, <clears throat> the final product that you see is not what the director's vision was, or what the writer's vision was, and it got changed so many times. And they did what they could with it, but they only right. had so many, so much influence. You know, it was only able to get what they could out in the screens. And then people tend to blame the folks that are at the forefront, you know, and those that actually cause the trouble don't get in as much trouble. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> even just, like
0: shows where I' are like kind of bogged down by
2: studio notes. Yeah. yeah, so it's trying to yeah. hit that balance of like, well, you need, you know, you need the money to fund the project, but you also yeah. need to be left alone to make the project. <laughs> you don't always.
1: Well, you know, and and you know, because I i I was a producer because I have my own studio, I understand. You know, I mean, you've got folks on your podcast, and you might have some folks that are producers on your podcast. So oh, let's let me say this: is just, this a that, you know, <laughs> it's just a two person
3: job. It's just well,
1: you know, I'm retired now, so it's kind of a different scenario, but. But I will say this. I understand why they do what they do. You know, they they're not the creative people. Well, They would like to be, but they're not. But the reality is they have to watch that bottom line. Yeah. They their their heads are on some of them. Their heads are next around the line. So yeah. they're trying to make sure they don't spend too much money or whatever it is that they're going to get what they're going to get. Um, You know, there is no magic recipe to know. Uh, sometimes things will work out great sometimes they won't. Um, Lord knows that we you know I've worked on plenty of things where you know it could have been great and it wasn't so great or whatever. Um, yeah you know, it's the way it goes you know so but they're you know so they're just trying to make sure everything's fine and and but the problem with that is you can't you can't take the business side and evaluate everything from a standpoint of popularity and say, okay, that's going to be a hit. Yeah. You know, and that's what the executives do based on the way they set their studios up. It's, it's like, well, this is trending or, where this is popular right now, or we should be, ma- you know, we, we need to cut this kind of character out because he's not as fun. You know, and a lot of what they're saying is based on other successful movies, mm-hmm. you know, but in, that's not how artists work. You know, artists come up with these things that are off the wall, off the cuff, Oddball things that nobody thinks of, and 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 it's the risk takers, you know. You know, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, every one of his films is iconic. Well, I mean, he had to, you know, he 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 had final say in his movies. He had, you know, he he got them what he wanted because of how he did it. You know, and and he had to fight the system a lot too.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. Orson
1: Welles, you know, when he was making Citizen Kane, had to go. You know, any anybody that made something that was good. Always had to kind of fight to make sure it was good,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and but the producers, the folks at the top, well, they run the studio. You know, they they, they do want to make a profit. They want to get their money back. Um, sometimes I think they put the producers and the directors in way too much pressure. You know, when I was watching the one that I was telling you about on, on, on Netflix, the one about Forrest Gump pressure that they put on Zemeckis was just like ridiculous I mean Zemeckis literally had to had to put his own money him and Tom Hank had to put their own money into that film to get what they wanted
3: <laughs>
1: you, know? you know and I'm thinking like what does this guy have to do he done what how many I mean he'd done back to the future Roger Rabbit romancing the stone like come on this guy done fantastic films that have made big money so why don't I just give him what he needs? You know, he's, he, he's proven himself, but that's Hollywood for you. You know, they don't, they don't learn anything. It's like, you can't look at that and see like, maybe this guy knows what he's doing. He, he's, he's just made us, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, you know I don't know that that's the, that there, there's my angle on it. It's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at, it at, at studio heads, I'm disappointed with a lot of them because they think they're creative and they're not. And, you know, I sort of long for the old style producers who just trusted their crews and you know, they said, Oh, well, you know, we used to always have this little gag about uh, Leon Schlesinger and Fred Quimby. You know, they would come in and they'd say, Oh, are you guys under budget? Great. And then they'd go back to Bora Bora or wherever that was. They were that, you know, they never wanted to know, what we were doing. Or, well, I mean, me, but not, you know, the old Warner Brothers, the old, you know, right Termite, terrorist guys. Mm-hmm. They just let them do stuff. And that's why it got, it was good. Yeah. You know, because they weren't looking over their shoulder. And that's, that's how we were treated at Warner Brothers. You know, Jim McCurdy didn't look over our shoulder to try to tell us how to make it. Cur- she, she trusted us. You know, she had the power to shut things down or keep things going, but she, she believed in what, what, what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She let Bruce, Tim, make Batman, you know, that was revolutionary. There was nothing like Batman, you know, until, until Bruce, Tim created that show, Yeah. him and Eric Domsky. And, you know, you know, but he could have, he could have been somewhere else and they would have been looking over his shoulder every minute, but you know, Gene McCurdy was like, yeah, go ahead. You know, she trusted what, what he could do. Yeah. That's she about what we having all did. faith
0: in your artists and taking that leap of faith and just seeing that exactly. like, you know, the results will speak for themselves.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's like why do you hire these people if you don't trust them? <laughs> you know what do you have them there for? Yeah. You know.
2: Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, so I think now should be a good time to transition to word of the day.
2: Yeah, we're going to start to start to wrap up a little bit here.
0: Yep. So, um word of the day. So, today's word is amative. It's an adjective and it's it means disposed to love. Amorous. And the sentence is: Farfug Newton's amative attraction to Pinky prompted her to save the mouse she loved from the other horses, and caused Brain to lose the race. <laughs>
2: yeah, so to explain that, <laughs> we always do a word of the day at the end of the of our podcast. Because at the end of that's the, a,
1: that's a pretty cool word. I've never heard that word before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I had either. You, you always pick a good one, Mary Jo. She she always picks a picks one that I usually have not heard of and. And uh, we do these because at the end of the Piggy and the Brain spinoff series, at the end of every episode, or most every episode, they would have a word of the day that would have usually something scientific related. So we kind of do the same thing. We have our word of the day at the end of the podcast.
0: Yeah. Except um, cool. here it's not like those super polysyllabic words. Like I try to <laughs> find some, but I'm like, oh, this is I'm not getting anywhere. So I just decided to like, consult with like, dictionary.com or the Merriam Webster website and then just be like, you know, finding words that like are associated with the episode that sound really cool and something that would be an educational uh thing in a fun way. Yep. I always
2: <laughs> like the word that you pick. Oh thank you. <laughs> of course.
1: Cool word. Cool. <laughs> Never heard it before.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um and now we're just gonna mosey on down to uh, contact information and social media plugs. So um, since Leonard, you're our guest, is there any way that people can reach you or anything that you want to promote?
1: Well, sure. Um, I do have an Instagram. It's called uh, big daddy of love. <laughs> 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 and uh, you know, you can DM me there or you can look at some of my drawings. I do put drawings up on Instagram quite a bit and photos and yeah. stuff of myself you know usually going out to eat and stuff so, yeah. <laughs> big ham with the with the uh with the camera as it were uh so yeah if you want to if you want to get me uh that way that's one way to get me is uh, big daddy of love all one word um i do have uh websites you know if you're interested in the websites um let's see i have to find my website here let's see what is it uh
2: you, you still have the it is
1: leonardrobinson.wixsite.com uh, and uh, backslash Robinson Animation. So you can find me there, leonardrobinson.wixsite.com backslash Robinson Animation. And then I have another website, it's an older one that has a lot of stuff on it as well. And it's uh, just www.robinsonanimation.com.
2: Cool. cool. And I guess I should put a disclaimer: is is your Instagram safe for the kids? Because I know. Yeah, I know sometimes uh, it might be some stuff, and I don't know who's listening age wise. So yeah, just to be on uh, well, podcast. it's
1: yeah, yeah. I don't. Um, well, let me see. I mean, I well, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I like to draw girls. I like
2: to you draw know? the girls.
1: <laughs> uh, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of girly drawings on here. Uh, lot nothing, of lot of mood. Well, no, no. Well, I mean, well. I mean, it's more like life <laughs> well, well, like, what are, what are, what are we talking about in age range? I would, are we talking about teenagers? Or are we talking about really young kids? Um,
2: I would say most people listening are probably going to be teenagers like, at I mean, yet the youngest. Yeah, like teenager. Well,
1: it's yeah. Okay. Well, there's some, there's some new, there's some girly, girly stuff they probably shouldn't look at. But, um, but I mean, there's some fun stuff. But there's girly stuff. Yeah. So, I miss I. <laughs> I would just say, yeah, totally. uh, there, there's some, <laughs> yeah, you got, you got, you got a couple of nudies and you got some, and most of the, most of the girls that I draw are cartoon sort of versions of real girls. Uh, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of cartoons. I also have a lot of um, Procreate stuff I've done, which are drawings that I did on my iPad that when you click on the site, that you'll see them uh unfolds in other words you'll see the draw themselves
3: oh yeah you're watching her, which
1: is kind of cool people really seem to like that oh yeah that's cool. a good feature. so i have a lot of that yeah but yeah there's girly stuff on there so yeah if it's if you you want to just say yeah there's some there's some girly you know sex, <laughs> sexy girly stuff that's what i like <laughs>
2: I just cover, yeah. It's covered it all bases. I think most of our Yeah, it, it's, it's, are...
1: <laughs> it's it's there. It's definitely there. So yeah. Yeah,
2: I think most I, of our I make are... I
1: make no I make no apology for it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not asking you to. Neither, I, most neither of our... am I.
1: <laughs> most on the on the websites though, the websites are pretty safe. Uh there isn't anything. Uh they you know, they might I, I think on my robinson animation site, I think there's um there's, a, there's sections where, like, figure drawing, that type of stuff. But nothing, you know, nothing that's on the edge. Um, that stuff is fine. And then my other site's also fine. Because most of the stuff on my sites are just cartoon stuff, you know.
0: Yeah. And so, no Not no licentious no. behavior here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No,
1: no licentious behavior, yes. On the other two, yeah. The, the Instagram... It's loaded. (laughs) It's loaded. loaded, Yeah. Yeah. But that, you know, and then the thing about that is that that's where I do most of my most recent stuff. So like if I'm drawing on my iPad or something like that, I tend to upload those drawings, uh, you know, however soon I do them. And then if I do drawings on paper, which I do quite a bit of that as well, then I take a picture and I usually upload that on Instagram. So Instagram tends to be where everything new goes, um, I don't update. I should update my websites, but I'm the Kelly knows how bad I am about that. You
2: know? <laughs> yeah, but the Instagram, as you said, gets up updated the most, and I think most of our yeah. viewers or listeners, rather, are are uh, uh, older teen or adult. I think, but uh, yeah, just I was just wanted to cover all bases in case there was there were any kids that are like, I
1: don't know. Yeah, they, younger. Uh, yeah, just let them know it's there. Yep. <laughs> it's the there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yep. So, yeah, so, um, I think we should, uh, Kelly, uh, we should talk about our, um, where people can find us.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, why don't you go first?
0: We'll do. So if you want to listen to, um, so yeah, we want to hear your thoughts on Jockey for Position or Pinky in the Brain in general, um. Uh, yeah, you can email us your opinions or comments or concerns um, to uh, the, our uh, Gmail, which is thepoitcast at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-P-O-I-T-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. And we'd be more than happy to read aloud your opinions and what you have to say about the show, so long as it's respectful. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at pointcast. And you can also find us on Tumblr, which is pointcast.tumblr.com. And if you really enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to read any positive reviews that we have on the show. And you can also follow us on Spotify. And you can also follow us individually on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Librarian and on Tumblr at Pine Straws. And if you want to read my fanfiction, um, you can find it on Archive of Our Own under my username, Congressman Mabel.
2: And you can reach me on Twitter at Michiki. That's M-I-T-C-H-E-K-I-E, Michiki. That's on Twitter. I'm also on Tumblr at PlutoArt, pluto Art, if you like my artistic works. Or if you like fanfiction, I'm also on AO3 and fanfiction.net. You can check out my stories there under the username Michiki save spelling as the Twitter account. Uh, and before we go out, um, I guess I just want to say thank you so much, Dad, for coming on the show and, uh, you know, sure. being willing to have us interview you and learn some really cool behind the scenes things about Animaniacs and picky in the brain. It's, it's been a fun time. Like I always love listening to the stories. Like I've heard them a lot of times, but uh, I always love listening to them again. I never get tired of them.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on Leonard It's it's great hearing um, your experiences, working on those shows and, um, I really appreciate listening to what you have to say. So it's, it's really great. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I had a good time talking with you guys. I'm glad that you love the show and, and that it's brought you some joy.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> yeah. And thank you lovely listeners for tuning in in this special episode of point but now Pluto and I must return to the lab and prepare for the next episode. Wi-Fi. Yes. <laughs> Wi what are we going to do next episode? The same thing we do every episode, Pluto and Lenard. <laughs> yes. Talk about Pinky and the brain. <laughs> yes.
3: Pinky <laughs> on the, the brain, 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 brain.
2: The PointCast was created for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. It is not endorsed by Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment. All characters, sounds, and images related to Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs, Pinky Elmira and the Brain, and other Warner Brothers properties and trademarks are copyrighted by their respective holders. The opinions of the host, co-host, and any PointCast guests are their own, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Warner Brothers Studios or Amblin Entertainment.